What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Remember the Game. It is my retro gaming podcast where every week a buddy of mine and I sit down and we geek out about the games we played back in the day. My name is Adam Blank. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And this week it is episode 170. And we're actually not talking about the games we played back in the day. We're talking about the strategy guides that told us how to play games back in the day. Uh, My guest this week is Doug Walsh. And Doug is a former strategy guide author. He spent 18 years teaching us how to play video games via his work over at Brady Games. If you bought one of their strategy guides back in the 90s to 2000s, there's a pretty good chance that you enjoyed Doug's work at some point. Uh, Obviously, YouTube and the internet ended up kind of killing off the strategy guide industry. And when Doug lost his job as a strategy guide author, he wrote a memoir about his time in the business. And his memoir is called The Walkthrough, Insider Tales from a Life in Strategy Guides. And I have read it and I cannot recommend it enough if you're interested in what went into writing these guides back in the day. And I'm not getting paid to do it. This was not like a paid promotion or anything like that. Uh, Doug actually reached out to me a few, a couple of months ago now uh, and said that he enjoys Remember the Game. And it was nice because I get a ton of messages like that from people being like, hey, love your content, would love to collaborate, but you know they don't know who the fuck they're talking to. Um, Doug actually referenced jokes from Remember the Game in his email. It was obvious that he really has listened to the podcast in the past. We got to talking and uh, yada, 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 he came on the show to talk about his time as a strategy guide author. And and I'm not going to lie to you guys, I enjoyed this conversation so so fucking much. Uh, this episode is a lot like a couple of the other ones I've done where we interviewed like Nicholas Picklis, former guest host or former host, pardon me, of Video and Arcade Top 10. Uh, we interviewed Summoning Salt, who's kind of a speed runner, uh, speed running uh, authoritarian. And he's also the current record world record holder for the fastest ever knockout of Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out. So you can find those interviews back in our archives if you're interested uh, in those. And that's what this one is. And I don't have a lot of experience as an interviewer, but Doug was a, a great guest. And, uh, I think this is a, I really think this is a great episode of the podcast. I'm proud of it. And, uh, I hope you nerds enjoy this one. It's a bit of a change of pace and we'll get there in just a minute because speaking of things that I'm proud of that I hope you enjoy, it's time for yet another edition of the remember the game infamous intro. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome aboard. Consider this your warning. Our intros are kind of long, but they're not boring. It's fun. This is like the story page in the instruction manuals back in the day where they had like a two-page explanation of why you're doing what you're doing. And then they get into stuff like how to set up your console and safety warnings. Remember manuals always had that? They always. I guess because you never know when it's someone's first game. But like every instruction manual would have the like, uh, plug your PlayStation console into a power outlet. Turn the power on. It was like, anyway, uh, our, the, the intro is less boring than that. Anyways, uh, we have merchandise, hoodies, t-shirts, coffee mugs, tank tops, posters, all kinds of cool shot, shot, shit, 
Shit shot, uh, cool stuff. There we go. All rocking rad-ass art drawn by my man Joe over at 4545creative.com. You can find all of our merchandise at rememberthegamepodcast.com. If you're interested, it is a great way to support the podcast and look cool. And of course, if you don't want to look cool, if you don't like clothes, you can always support us on Patreon. And it is the, I truly feel like we might offer the most value of any Patreon in the history of existence. For only two bucks a month, you get two additional podcasts a week. So you're paying 50 cents a week, 40 cents a week, and you're getting two more podcasts every week. You get exclusive access to both my gaming discussion podcast, Expansion Pass, every Thursday, and my gaming news podcast, Game Patch, every Friday. And you also get instant access to well over 100 previous bonus episodes. Game Patch, every Friday, we look at all the biggest news in modern gaming. I add into my opinions and throw some profanity on top and all that kind of shit. And Expansion Pass is a different show every week. We do game rankings. We look back at characters, consoles. We do hypothetical conversations. We do some comedy episodes. There's game reviews. Uh, This past week on Expansion Pass, I counted down my top 10 must-play retro video games. I didn't pick my favorites. I tried to pick 10 games that encompassed as many genres genres, consoles, eras, developers as possible. It was tough. It was very controversial. I got a lot of feedback on this episode, both good and bad. And God damn it, I stand behind the list that I worked very hard to build. And as is becoming tradition, here is a sneak peek of last week's expansion pass. My top 10 must play retro video games. And uh, I'm going to keep it going. I got another comment to read here in a second. But my number nine must play retro game of all time. is a pair of games, and that is Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, and I guess Pokemon Yellow, even though I never played that one growing up. For the original Game Boy, Dusty Salad wrote into us on Patreon and said, besides Earthbound, which was already mentioned uh, in another comment, my must-play retro game would be Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. These games took the originals and perfected them in every way. They added a perfect amount of new Pokemon with 100, they improved the sprites of the Pokemon, even animating them in Crystal, and they have the best post-game of any Pokemon game, which unlocks the whole Kanto region. To top it off, your final boss is Red, the trainer which represents the player from the first Pokemon games, who you fight at the top of a freaking mountain. Well, fucking spoilers. Dusty said, no, I'm just kidding. I fuck it, yeah. Uh, listen, I've never hidden, like, I, I agree with you that a Pokemon game needs to be on the list, Dusty Salad, but I'm going with red and blue and yellow. I've never hidden the fact they are still my favorite Pokemon games. So that was last week's episode, and for this week, I'm going to do another game review, and it's uh, a must-play current video game, at least in my opinion, and that's Metroid Dread for the Nintendo Switch. I've played through it twice now, once on normal, once on hard. I have a ton to say about this game, and as always, all of my expansion pass game reviews are 100% spoiler-free, so you can listen to them without having anything ruined for you, I promise. Uh, So again... 
Two bucks will get you instant access to all those podcasts, plus new episodes every Thursday and Friday, plus access to our Discord, which is really growing, and it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of chirping and shit in there. It's good, but like no toxicity. It's really fun Discord. Uh, the chance to vote in our Patreon poll at the beginning of every month. You can submit comments to be read on all of our podcasts. You can DM with me as much as you want, and you get a shout-out and get to hear me mispronounce your name like I'm about to do to most of these people. A huge thank you to all of our newest patrons, Charles Robinson Jr., Austin Cook, Nintendo, Kyle Shrev, I'm sure I fucked that one up, Matthew Salmon, AJ Bridges, Jeremy Jenkins, and Cedric Lacroix. Thank you all so much. Welcome to Remember the Game Industries. Uh, your support means the world to me, everybody. Patreon.com slash Remember the Game. There's a ton of value. Plus, I'm live streaming the recordings of Expansion Pass and Game Patch for the rest of the month exclusively to Patreon. So if you sign up, you can watch those live streams if you're interested and actually see me record the shows. Uh, anyway, yeah, patreon.com slash remember the game. I have a PO box. You can find the full address on our website. If you're interested, just send me a postcard or a letter, something little. I don't, don't send me big giant gifts. I appreciate them, but spend your money on you or give it to charity or fucking throw it at birds or something. You know, don't, uh, I was going to say don't feed it to fish, but some fish are evil anyway. Uh, and I'm on Twitch and I'm trying to get on there a little bit more twitch.tv slash member the game if you're interested in checking it out just uh, follow it's free it'll tell you when i'm online and then you can come by and hang out we've had more and more people coming by the streams lately which has been hella cool as well that's enough blowing myself let's get this thing going by blowing some of you with blowing in the cartridge it is our opening segment on the show i read a few comments and questions from our patreons usually gaming related but not always and we call this segment blowing in the cartridge he blows all right he blows big time that's it honey get into the spirit Let's blow our first blower this week is Chris Coplin, who wrote in and said, I've been hearing a lot about people complaining about how difficult Metroid Dread is, especially journal- journalists and renowned developer David Jaffe. I can appreciate it when games offer difficulty modes, but I don't think developers should be expected to put them in just so people can complete their game without putting in the work if that's their intent. Where do you sit on the criticism of games that only offer one difficulty, especially when that difficulty expects players to, quote, get good? Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm a believer in the fact that video games are art and I think that game developers are artists and they should be allowed to make their game however they want. If you want to like Celeste is one of the best video games of the last 15 years, in my opinion, it's, I would argue it's probably one of the best platformers ever made. And it's, it's excruciatingly difficult and there's no easy mode, but that's how they wanted the game made. That's their vision of their art. That's fine. I, I personally, I do think the right call from a business perspective is to make a game as accessible as possible. I, so, I mean, you know, for example, a Celeste, there's going to be people that never buy or play Celeste just because it's too difficult. Dark Souls. I'm Terra. Now the thing about Dark Souls is like, that's their whole gimmick. I'm terrified of the Dark Souls games, but if they put an easy mode in, that probably wouldn't convince me to buy it because I'd be like, well, now I'm playing it like a bitch. Like you're supposed to play it on hard. That's how Dark Souls is meant to fucking be played. But so I do think that the, the right business call is to put in difficulty settings and make it more accessible to players so that someone that's not as good at a game could still maybe pick it up and play it. And, you know, you know, I think when you set a game or, you know, a counter argument is uh, Yoshi's Crafted World on the Switch. I thought that game looked fucking stunning, but I was so bored that I was like, this is too easy. And I understand that it's meant to be easy. It's supposed to be for children or, you know, 
It's supposed to be a very accessible game, but I was like, this is excruciatingly, boringly fucking easy. So, like, I would love to see a higher difficulty setting there. A game like a, a Celeste or a Metroid Dread. Maybe there is logic in putting an easy mode in it so that players that find it too difficult can tune it down and still enjoy the game. I think from a business perspective, that makes sense because you can sell it to more people. It's just like how some movies would be better rated R, but they pull back just enough to get a PG-13 rating because you're going to sell way more tickets that way. Um, but having said that, again, I'm an artist. I don't think that a game developer should uh, pull back on their vision just to sell copies. If you really think that like, hey, this game needs to be X you know, difficulty or this game needs to be X easy, uh, for people, you know, to, for the game to really be the experience that we envision it being, then fucking mazel tov, do what you got to do. So no, I, I disagree. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that it's a fair criticism to shit on a game and saying there's only one difficulty. I think that's how it's supposed to be. If you want to say, I just don't, you know, I, I don't want to play it. That's fine. But to me, there's a difference between saying, uh, you know, this game just isn't for me because it's too hard or too easy and saying this game sucks because it's too hard or too easy. I think Yoshi's Crafted World is a magnificent video game. That's just not for me because it's too easy. It doesn't mean it's a bad video game at all. And anyone that's saying that Metroid Dread is too hard, you're more than entitled to your opinion of saying the game is too difficult, but you're wrong if you say that it's a bad game because of it, because it's not. It's a fucking great video game. And I won't be swayed by it. I won't be, I won't be moved off that opinion ever. So, uh, thanks. Fucking, I can't stand Jaffe either. I fucking can't stand that guy. But thanks, Chris. Good stuff. Uh, Good A wrote in. And I don't often read Play One, Remake One, Erase Ones in this segment. This That's the next segment here on the show. But Good A wrote in and said, Horizon Forbidden West, God of War Ragnarok, Spider-Man 2. You can play one, you can remake one by giving it to another developer, and you can erase one. The series ends, no other games will ever be released. Whew, that's tough. Uh, okay, well, I'll play Spider-Man 2 simply because Venom's in it. And there's no fucking way I'm erasing a game with Venom in it. Uh, so then I got to remake... Hmm. Okay, I'm going to remake God of War Ragnarok and erase Horizon Forbidden West, but I don't want to. Please don't take that as me shitting on Horizon Forbidden West. That game is great. It's more of god of war left me hanging at the end and it was like well they've got a new story set up whereas horizon forbidden west is like a new game in the horizon series but horizon zero dawn would stand on its own and you'd be like all right well that was a fun game whereas you if you finish the god of war from the playstation 4 you're like well now what the fuck happens you gotta know so i'm gonna remake god of war and erase horizon but i don't want to fucking good a fucking good a with your vicious play one remake one erase ones Chris Kentrell wrote in and said, Hey Adam, I think I'm going to go in a different direction with my question this week. It kind of goes in line with one of your Patreon polls because I'd like to see you talk about wrestling sometime. I want you to pick a favorite wrestler from the current roster of AEW and a favorite wrestler from WWE. My favorite AEW wrestler right now is Malachi Black just because he comes with an air of legitimacy and I love his persona. And with WWE, I'd have to go with Finn Balor because I'm such a mark for the demon character. I also love Finn Balor as well. Uh, but Chris, to answer your questions, in WWE, I'm going to catch shit for this, but my favorite wrestler is probably The Miz because I love snarky little chicken shit heels and The Miz is so good at it. But I'm also, I'm a huge Asuka fan. So Asuka is my favorite wrestler in WWE. Miz is my favorite personality. And then uh, in AEW, MJF is my favorite wrestler in any company right now. Any co- He's ex- literally the exact character I dreamed of being like as a kid is, is MJF. I think he's fucking phenomenal. And I'm also a big Hangman Adam Page fan as well. So there you go. God, I love pro wrestling. 
Leakified wrote in and said, with all the nostalgia of our childhood, what game besides Ninja Turtles turned your favorite cartoon, TV show, or movie into a video game? Mine has to be DuckTales, The Simpsons, and Rugrats. Uh, you know what? Actually, I didn't even have to think about this one for very long. It's Spider-Man 2. The Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock, the, the video game they made out of that. I fucking love that game. I played so much of that game on the original Xbox. I think it's magnificent. Spider-Man 2 is my pick. Mecha Robo Hamster said, so this is a dumb question, but you've stated many times that you're not a big movie person, but with Halloween around the corner, I was wondering if there are any movies or games you like playing during the spooky season. I personally like to fire up a spooky movie every weekend in the month of October. So not only am I not a big movie person, but if anyone's newer to the podcast and doesn't know, I'm actually a pretty big chicken shit when it comes to scary things. I'm slowly getting better, but you know what? It's funny you ask that Mecca every year. My girlfriend and I used to go see the new Saw movie when they would release soft flicks every year at Halloween. And I know that they got progressively like the, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. The first saw is a great fucking movie. Every movie after that got progressively worse and stupider, but we just kept going to see them. So maybe we're fucking part of the problem, but I can't even think of another horror franchise. And I don't even know if you'd call saw horror movie or some people just call it like murder porn or whatever. But I, I like I've never seen any of the Friday the Thirteenth. I've never seen any of the Halloweens. I've never seen any of the, uh, what other fucking? I know there's another one I'm thinking of. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street is that what it's called? I, like I just don't watch scary movies. I, I'm not good at them. But Saw is actually my guilty pleasure when it comes to scary movies. Uh, Clayton Raw, and I don't actually think I don't think I have one that I do like every October or anything though. Although I might watch the original Saw soon. I love that movie. Uh, Clayton Robertson. Wrote in and said, I have a lot of Game Boy Advance games and NES games and PC games, and I always have a hard time figuring out what I want to play to finish. I want to play them really bad, and I like the idea of it, but I always end up playing endless games like Hunt Showdown or Call of Duty because it's just mindless fun. How do you balance out your life to where you actually finish your games? Would you be able to finish them if you didn't have the podcast to keep you motivated? So... I do like to beat most of the games that I play, Clayton. I've always been like that. And I try to stay away from endless games like a Call of Duty as much as possible. I usually have one endless game on the go at any given time. And that's like my my go-to, like if I'm baked or whatever and I just need to space out, that's my my go-to. It, it was, I mean, Tetris 99 was that game fucking forever. Before that, I put so many hours into Mario Kart 8. I was addicted to Minecraft back in the day. I play MLB The Show, but I refuse to get as hooked on it as I used to be. I think Back for Blood is going to be my new go-to, not mindless game, but just kind of endless. I just log in when I want to play for a couple hours game. But I usually try to stick to one because, yeah, I like to finish most of my games and I feel like I'm almost wasting my time when I'm playing something that I don't, I'm never really going to end, you know? Um... And you asked, does the podcast keep me motivated? Without the podcast, I actually probably think I would I would beat fewer games, but I would put more time into the ones I do finish. Because like right now, I, I rush through most games just to get to the next one. Like I just finished Diddy Kong Racing and there's an Adventure 2 mode. And I really want to fire up Adventure 2 mode, but I'm like, I got too many other games to play. I got all the gold balloons on an original playthrough of Diddy Kong Racing, and I'm going to tap out and move on. Whereas if I didn't have the podcast and I didn't have all these games waiting for me to get to for the podcast, I might be like, you know what? I'm going to put a little bit more time into Diddy Kong Racing because I really enjoyed it. Uh, same with Crash Team Racing. I played that not even for the podcast. I just played it because I thought it was awesome. And I 101%ed the normal mode and then never fired up hard mode because I was like, I have too much else to play. And I know I'm looking at probably another 30 hours of trying to get good enough to beat this game on hard mode. 
Um, but no, I, I, I've always been like that. I, I don't force myself to finish games. If I'm not having fun, I don't have a problem with putting a game down and be like, this sucks. I don't want to play it anymore. But I finish, I bet you I finish 75% of the games I start. Cause I just, that's just me. I, I pick one up and then that's the one I'm playing until I'm done. I usually have a retro game on the go, a modern game on the go, and then an endless like game, like a call of duty style game on the go at any given time. One, one in one. Uh, and then finally, before we move on from blowing in the cartridge, it's ladder time. It's ladder time. And the topic everyone is talking about right now is Nintendo's expansion pack pricing, where they're charging an additional $30 for Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis games on the Nintendo Switch. And I'll be honest with you, I got a few comments about it this week. I'm going to share my thoughts about that on Game Patch Friday. When we cover Nintendo news, we're going to break that whole thing down and talk about what's included and how much it's going to cost you. Then I'll share all my opinions on it. But Evan O'Brien wrote in and said, fuck Kutaku. First, you publish an article endorsing pirating a brand new game and linking the software to do it. Then shit on Nintendo for charging more for Nintendo 64 and Sega games and on and for their controllers. No matter what console, extra controllers are going to be at a cost. It's like they forgot you have to pay extra for PlayStation now if you have PlayStation Plus, or when Xbox Live and Game Pass were separate entities and you had to have both. Yet Kotaku seems to believe that they should all be included in the original monthly fee, and then they had the nerve to say Nintendo didn't respond back to them for a comment. Well, maybe they would have if you didn't enable people to steal their new game. Upon review of this, maybe it's me. Am I so out of touch? No, it's Kotaku who are wrong. Fuck them again. And shout out to anyone that gets that reference. Good job. And he didn't add that part. I added that part. But good uh, good letter, Evan. Quickly, you guys, if you don't know what the... Kotaku is such a fucking joke. If you don't know what Evan's talking about, Kotaku posted an article a couple of days after Metroid Dread released, basically saying that people are already emulating it in 4K online. I, I'm not calling you a liar, Evan. I didn't give them the time of day to click the fucking article because I was like, I'm not giving you another click and some more ad revenue for your bullshit. Hey, the, the, the simple, like, I don't know if they actually said how to emulate it in the article. Maybe they did. I'm not saying they did or they didn't. But the simple fact that the headline said people are already emulating it is telling people, hey, with a simple search of Google, you could probably figure out how to emulate this brand new fucking game. And it was such a joke. And they semi-backtracked on it later, but they never took the article down or apologized or anything. You basically just came out and said, hey, people can steal this fucking game if they want to it's a goddamn joke it feels like everyone in gaming media shits on kotaku these days and they fucking deserve it they're just ridiculous how can a professional gaming news website and i say professional with the biggest air quotes you've ever fucking seen how can they come out and say hey you can emulate this brand new game and then say nintendo didn't issue a comment to us when we reached out to them of course they didn't you stupid fucks like listen gamers are entitled all right, there's a lot of them these days and I'm a gamer. I'm part of the community. They're an entitled bunch, straight up. And it's not just gamers, frankly. People steal movies, music, TV shows, video games. They're like, well, you're charging too much for your creation. This is bullshit. I'm just going to go download it for free. That's not how it fucking works, you guys. I emulate old video games, mostly for this podcast, but I would say 90 plus percent. Basically, every game I emulate, they're old games that I can't buy anywhere. If I can buy it off of the eShop on my 3DS, if I can buy it off the PSN on my PlayStation, if I can get it off the Xbox marketplace i'm going fucking on my pc i'm going to buy a game if at all possible to give that money to the developer or the publisher the only time i emulate games is 
just as an example, and I'm just pulling in Ninja Turtles for the NES, for example. I'll be honest, I'm emulating that game when I want to play it because it's not for sale anywhere other than at the flea market. And I don't care about like Nintendo and their developers and publishers. No one's getting a dime from that. That's an old video game. I don't mind that. But if there's a way to pay the fucking rights owner for a game, pay them. I cannot get on board with it. I cannot get on board with the idea of emulating games, okay? This Metroid Dread is a brand new game. And I'm telling you right now, and if you're listening to this, you're and you emulate that game, you're who I'm talking to. You are fucking this franchise over straight up. And I can already fucking hear some of the people that are out there doing it. Oh, Nintendo doesn't need any more money. They already charge too much money for their online and their games never go down in price. And this is bullshit. That is such a stupid fucking argument. You're the exact same people that are like the Switch has no games. Why don't they make more games for old franchises? Because people like you fucking steal them and then they don't get enough money out of them to justify the cost it takes to make them. Stealing is stealing straight up. I'm a stand-up comedian. If somebody was taking my stand-up comedy recordings or somebody was taking the podcasts that I work really fucking hard on to sell to my Patreons and someone was publishing them somewhere for free, I'd be fucking pissed too. Alright? Kotaku should be fucking ashamed of themselves. They're a fucking joke of a website to go online and say this brand new game, you can emulate it and it runs better. That is just such a fucking... I cannot! I'll be honest with you. I'm not wishing unemployment on every person that works on that fucking website, but I cannot fucking wait for that website to crash and burn. And bet your ass, mark my words, it is going to fucking happen. Idiots. Fucking idiots. That's how I feel about Kotaku. Fuck them. Fuck, fuck, fuck them. And fuck you if you're emulating Metroid Dread right now. Straight up. Fuck you. I mean, I don't care. I. You're what's wrong with fucking this industry. Or you're at least a big fucking part of it. And that goes to anyone that takes movies for free, anyone that takes music for free. Of course, we all did it back in the Napster days. Times are different. You, dude, I pay twelve bucks a month now, or something like that, and I have all the phone, all the fucking music I want on my phone. It's not a matter of they already have too much money. That's not the fucking point. Guess what? Compared to some other people in the world, every single one of you listening to this right now, you have too much money. Does that mean that people should just be able to take your work and you should you should offer them your work for free? No, that's not how it fucking works. Ah. Anyway, again, I'll talk about my thoughts on Nintendo's expansion pack, their pricing, what they're offering with the Genesis and Nintendo 64 games and stuff like that on Game Patch this Friday, which you can probably fucking find online for free somewhere if you want to find it. I'm sure you can emulate my fucking podcast somewhere. Thanks to everyone that wrote in this week for blowing in the cartridge. I appreciate it very much. Let's get into our Smash Hit segment, the official game show of Remember the Game Industries. Play one, remake one, erase one. And a huge thank you to Classic Concentration from the NES for unknowingly providing us with the theme music for the show. The rules are simple. Oh yeah, and there's another example. The soundtrack to Classic Concentration from the NES isn't fucking available anywhere. So yeah, I'm using it. Eat me. Uh, the rules are simple. Each week I give our listeners three retro video games. They can play one as it was released. They can remake one as a modern game. The third game is erased from time forever. As always, there are no wrong answers, but there is a right one, and I'll tell you what it is in a minute. And I figured seeing as it's October, Halloween's right around 
around the corner and Back for Blood, the online zombie survival game is the talk of the town these days. It's fucking dope, by the way. I love that game. Uh, I thought, let's have a zombie game round of Play 1, Remake 1, Erase 1. We're going with Resident Evil 5, Dead Rising, and Dead Island. And whenever I pick three games for this, it's very difficult. I always hope the poll will be close. And I fucking nailed it this week because there's six possible combinations of Play, Remake, and Erase. The lowest vote was 11%. The winner was 26%. So like a 15% gap from last to first across six options. That's a tight vote. And play Dead Rising, remake Dead Island, and erase Resident Evil 5 was the front runner this week with 26% of the vote. And that 26% of you are not going to like my fucking answer. But I'll tell you mine in a minute. Let's hear what a few of you have to say. Paul Rakowski wrote in and said, play Dead Rising. Even all these years later, the game plays well and it's still a bunch of fun to run through a horde while clubbing is as many as possible with a frying pan i'll say remake dead island as there was some potential with that game and there was just some fun to be had with playing with other players but it felt very underwhelming especially after the first few hours i'm not sure what would have fixed it with a remaster to make it live up to the hype it could have had but i'll say it's worth a shot especially when compared to resident evil 5 i'll erase resident evil 5 without a second thought i'm not the biggest resident evil fan but i have enjoyed a few entries this was not one of them i did play it on release and i didn't have a dramatically negative reaction i remember thinking it was meh and the companion ai was pretty terrible while playing solo also chris punching a boulder out of his way fuck out of here resident evil 5 was a huge turning point a huge negative turning point for the series and though it was nice to see a return to terrifying form of resident evil 7 5 disappearing would not be a loss I don't usually read answers that are that long, but I thought it was well-worded. And I got to be honest, a lot of people threw shade at Resident Evil 5, which I don't, I don't get. I don't agree with. Resident Evil 5 is a good game. I don't care. It's a fine game. You know, but I guess different strokes for different folks. Not everybody likes Vaseline on toast either. Shout out to anyone that gets that reference. Kyle Shreve wrote in and said, even though I love the Resident Evil series, my original thought was to erase Resident Evil 5. But then I thought better of it and decided to remake Resident Evil 5. The Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes were amazing, and I'd love to see that kind of game in Africa. Tone it down a bit from the rambling liquors on a train and uppercutting boulders, and instead sprinkle in some rotten, unnerving vibes from Resident Evil 7 on the engine of the Resident Evil 2 remake. And with that African setting, you'd have something special and unlike anything else in the series. So I'll remake 5, play Dead Island because zombies on the beach is cool, and erase Dead Rising not a bad game but it's a victim of circumstance so i love that dude like <laughs> i just can't be convinced resident evil 5 is bad i think it's a fun game i do i will say the idea of remaking it like resident evil 2 uh fucking turns me on a little bit that's god resident evil 2 remake is so fucking good Chris Larkin said, definitely play Dead Rising. This game was a monster success and a big title for the early years of the Xbox 360. So much fun even now. I know everyone is going to erase Resident Evil 5, but I'd remake it. I'm a huge horror game fan. I picked this up day one and co-opted it with my brother and many friends after. Yes, it's one of the less liked Resident Evil games and erasing it wouldn't hurt at all, but the story is actually pretty important to the Resident Evil timeline and explains a lot to me. Remake with less arsenal and ammo to go back to its roots, and I wanted to play dead island as i already own it and have yet to fully play it but i've lived without it for this long and i can probably just play insert horror first person shooter here so goodbye i'll erase it uh yeah i don't know that seems like it's not what i would do but it does seem like sound logic it's funny that you said that resident evil 5 story is pretty important to the resident evil timeline because the only mainline resident evil games i haven't played now are zero and eight and i never finished six because i hate that fucking game and i have no fucking idea 
what's going on in the Resident Evil story. No fucking idea. No clue. Maybe I need to play Resident Evil 5 again. Zach Shepard said, play Resident Evil 5. While it lost the survival aspect of prior Resident Evil games, I thought it was one of the best two-person online co-op experiences I had on the PS3. Me and my high school girlfriend played that all the time until we unlocked the Hydra shotgun and the other hard-to-get weapons. I'd remake Dead Rising. I tried it, and the controls and mechanics seemed a bit weird for me. The right team could make this into an amazing crafting-based action game. And erased Dead Island. It just played like a generic zombie game. I couldn't get into it, even though I tried multiple times. I will say... I fucking hate the controls in Dead Rising. I'll get to that in a second, but I fucking, yeah, I, I fucking hate the controls in that game. John, or at least I remember hating them. Johnny CCDC said, well, this one's interesting. I'm going to play Resident Evil 5 because I actually have it. I just never played it after my daughter was born. That's fair. Remake Dead Rising is it was the last system. It was on the last system I owned before my daughter was born. And then erase Dead Island because my daughter, who is now seven, when I asked her which of these she would erase, she said erase this one. And that's too damn funny to me. It is the scariest looking cover of the three, I think. So that makes sense. And then Kaiser Dragon said, play Dead Island. I had a heap of fun with this one. Remake Dead Rising without the damn timer. And then erase Resident Evil 5. Although I love the Resident Evil series and I like Resident Evil 5, this game followed by its next numbered installment are the worst in the series. You know what? It's funny because I like Resident Evil 5, but you might... I'm going to do a ranking episode once I play 0 and 8, but yeah, it might be the second worst. 6 is the worst for sure. Fuck, five might be second worst. I like five. Uh, like I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got my picks, uh, and they're not the same as the majority. Fourteen percent of you went the same route I did, including Game Nomad Misi, who said, "I'm gonna jump in and play Resident Evil Five. It was the first game I ever pre-ordered, and I had so much fun playing it with my friends on Mercenaries mode. It's really fun, but I'd rather see other Resident Evil games get the remake. I'm gonna remake Dead Island. The remake for this game could technically be called Dying Light, so I accept it being the remake. I like Dead Rising, but it's gonna take the fall for me this week. I loved playing it. The first one was really fun and interesting idea, but I got very frustrated with the stupid survivors walking themselves into danger and trying to get all." 50 survivors saved the cultists and the military showing up makes the game a lot more annoying than it needs to be getting a worse ending on a great one because you got captured and couldn't get away good week i like all three games but that's how i'm running it uh yeah that's the same not same logic but that's the same order i would go with i'm gonna play resident evil 5 because like i said i know some people shit on this game i really do think it's awesome i really liked this game when it came out i stand by it today it's not as scary as the other resident evil games but it's a really fun video game I'm going to remake Dead Island because I never played it, but I always thought it looked rad. It just got middle-of-the-road reviews, and one of the big issues seemed to be weird controls and some bugs. So I'm going to remake it, clean it up, and give it another shot. And I'm erasing Dead Rising because I know a lot of you wrote in saying that you love this game. I was hella pumped for this game when it came out, and then I played it, and I fucking hated it. I tried it like eight times, and I fucking hated it. So... I'm a, no, Dead Rising can eat my ass. That game's fucking... That game... Dude, what the fuck was that state of emergency? Was that the, like, mass crowd fucking shitty game on the PlayStation 2 that was hyped like crazy and then it sucked nuts? Dead Rising was a better state of emergency, at least in my opinion. I fucking hated it. So I'll erase Dead Rising and I won't lose a goddamn ounce of sleep over it. What have I been playing? And then we're going to talk strategy guides. Metroid Dread, uh, mostly. Again, I'll get into all my thoughts about it on Expansion Pass tomorrow, but it's fucking awesome. Diddy Kong Racing, I wrapped it up last night. I've done all the golden balloons. I'm not going to do the time trials or anything because I just don't have time. I'm going to move on to another game. But we'll be talking about that on Remember the Game sometime in the next couple weeks. Uh, and then I've been playing Back for Blood. I haven't played as much as I've wanted to because I had comedy shows all weekend and I've been trying to wrap up Diddy Kong and Metroid Dread. 
Uh, but I've played three or four sessions online with various members of the community and, uh, I've had a fucking great time. And if you're interested and you're on our discord, uh, there's tons of people in there looking to play. Uh, you can post in there and usually put a game together in about 15 minutes if you want to. So yeah, I'm really digging. I got more time. I'm gonna put more time into it before I decide whether or not it's officially as good as left for dead, but I'm really digging back for blood so far. And there you go. Let's talk strategy guides. That's why you guys are here. Usually I give some of our listeners a chance to sound off on the game we're talking about before the podcast. This week I'm giving them a chance to talk about strategy guides before I talk about them with Doug. And uh, I got a ton of comments from you guys. I'm going to rip through a few of these. Dan S said, I'll never forget the feeling of excitement going through a strategy guide, looking at all the pictures, finding the secrets, reading the storyline. They were great for games you didn't have the patience to finish for yourself or just to sit down and read through to squeeze a little bit more out of your game. I... See, I always felt they were cheating. Like, I never used one. I only used the Earthbound one, and I think I had the Pokemon Red and Blue guide. But I used to get them from my brother all the time, and I always just enjoyed reading them. Like, after I was done the game, I just found them fascinating to to flip through. Uh, Titan420 wrote in and said, I don't know if your guest wrote it or not, but the Final Fantasy VIII strategy guide went a long way in helping me master that game's battle system. It was the first RPG not named Pokemon that I ever played. Yes, I played eight before seven. And if not for that Final Fantasy VIII guide, I may have swore off rpgs forever is too complicated and now they're actually my favorite games to play change your life just a fish said back in the day this was the only way to 100 a game i loved guides especially in rpg games i remember having the guides and my friends not having them and thinking i was awesome knowing all the tricks and not giving up all the info even with the internet i still buy the guides for open world games i guess i'm just old school I'm, I kind of miss some of those guides now too. They're just fun to read. If I saw one somewhere for a game that I already know and I, I wouldn't be like, that I didn't know how to beat, I would pick one up if I saw it on the cheap just to flip through it and read it. They're fun to read. Strife89 said, I have the Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy X strategy guides in my house right now. I originally beat the games without them, but I've always wanted 100% both. And I definitely couldn't do it without the guides. The artwork in each is great too. And 1.21 gigawatts wrote in and said, the first strategy guide I ever bought was for the original Metal Gear Solid. The reason I purchased it was because I couldn't figure out how to get Meryl's codex frequency. And how stupid did I feel when I realized the case the game was talking about was literally the physical game case. Haha, <laughs> good memories. That's funny. I guarantee you, you're not the only one that that happened to. Either the fact that the, the code you needed was written on the game case or that whole Psycho Mantis player one, player two thing. Those, I guarantee you, they sold some player guides because of that. Let's talk strategy guides, you guys. Uh, I already told you that like this dude is uh, officially a friend of the show. Long time player or strategy guide author Doug Walsh is my guest this week. I'm going to queue up some retro music. And when it shuts down, I really hope you guys enjoy this interesting conversation I had with 18-year strategy guide author veteran, Mr. Doug Walsh. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Let's go. Alright everybody, so a special guest on the old Remember the Game blank phone this week. We're actually not on the phone. We I figured out Zoom. I have moved up in the world. I got Zoom to work. Well, if you're hearing this, I fucking got Zoom to work because it's been an hour of trying to get fucking Zoom to work. Uh, but my guest this week is uh, a, a first timer here on the show. Very special guest. It's, uh, it's Doug Walsh. And Doug, I'm going to kind of just shut up and give you the floor for a second to explain to everybody who you are. But you reached out to me a couple of months ago. Uh, uh, you know, about the podcast and about the idea of coming on. And when you told me what you 
had at least previously done for a living, I uh, I got excited right away. And I was like, dude, that sounds like a fucking epic podcast. So uh, feel free to go as long-winded as you want. I'm just going to shut up for a minute. Let everybody know who you are and how you found your way uh, onto the Zoom meeting with me on a Saturday morning. All righty. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Doug Walsh. And Adam, thanks a lot for having me on. This is great. Your show's so much fun to listen to. Um, when I heard about your show and like the focus on retro games and like top NES games of all time, like I think was the first episode I listened to, I was like, all right, I got a story for him. Um, I grew up playing games. Dad came home with an Atari 2600 in 1979, 1980, around then. And then uh, shortly after getting out of college, I literally fell into my dream job. It wasn't writing for Nintendo Power like I thought I would do when I was a 13-year-old boy. But instead, it was actually writing official strategy guides. And uh, starting in the year 2000 with uh, co-authoring a Tenchu 2 guide for PlayStation 1 and then Banjo-Tooie for N64, um, right up to the demise of Prima Games, I authored over 100 official strategy guides for um, most of the Tony Hawk games, all the Gears of Wars, Bioshock, Halo Reach, um, yeah, like, and finishing up with like Super Mario Odyssey and one or two others. So it was a complete dream job. I didn't have any technical skills, but figured out a way to marry that love of gaming that I've had my whole life with my writing ability and love of writing into a, a job writing eight to 10 strategy guides a year for Brady games. And then after Penguin and Random House merged with Prima Games. That's so cool. Like, it's so wild because I guarantee you, a vast majority of the people listening to this episode have at least at some point bought one of those guys. I listen, I don't mean to by any means disparage your uh, your career or your legacy, but like I was always that guy that like I I was like I hated using it because I always felt like I was cheating if I went to a player's guide. So I I remember I got the Earthbound guide that came with my copy of Earthbound and I beat Earthbound using the guide and it was great. But afterwards I was like I felt I felt like I cheated, but my brother was obsessed with those guides. And so every year on his birthday, every year for Christmas, every gift, I bought him a player's guide for something. And it's funny. I was just telling him the other day about having you on the podcast. And I was like, I'm a million percent sure that I bought him at least one or two guides that you wrote. And I was like, and now you're on the show, which is so wild. So everyone listening to this has probably bought one of those guides or at least seen those guides, maybe took them out from the library, something like that. And I got to be honest, man, that like that. To a lot of people, that probably sounds like a dream job. Like to just your whole job is to play games before they're released and then write books about them. Like it, sounds it, awesome. it really, it really was a dream job. And like a couple of things there. Like when I usually say to people, um, if you bought strategy guides and they weren't for Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty or like Street Fighter, there's a really good chance I wrote it. Um, so that's like no joke there. Um, but yeah, like people would, you know, you know what always happened it was like adult people, especially women would say to me like, Oh, my, my son would love to have your job. And I'm like, lady, your husband wishes he had my job. Like, <laughs> who are you kidding here? Um, no, it was a total dream job. And, uh, yeah, to like, to know, like, even looking back now to be like, you know, like the legend of Zelda, super Mario, halo, these like, you know, these pinnacle platform, uh, like franchises that the whole world knows to know that like, yeah, there's, there's books out there with my name on them that were the official guides to those games. Diablo three. I mean, whether you love Diablo three or not, like, man, that, that's pretty freaking cool. Like, yeah, it, I don't, it's not lost on me, you know? No, that's incredible. And it's, it's funny. Cause you, you mentioned that you just like, so you have a book you and we'll, we'll plug your book near the end of the, the podcast, but you wrote a book about your time 
uh, writing books. <laughs> like you wrote, you wrote a book about right. your time writing player guides, which you, you sent me a copy of. Thank you very much. And I literally, I bombed through that in two sessions. I bombed through that entire, I was captivated because I've always, I mean, I'm a lifelong gamer myself. Everyone that listens to this show knows that. I've always loved this. This is my favorite thing in the whole world is video games. And uh, as a kid, I always, God, I would have loved to have like, done something like that or been a game reviewer or wrote for Nintendo Power or something. And so to have your book and to be able to read this book and it, it literally, uh, it explains like, hey, this is how I got into this hobby or this industry. This is how, you know, my standing in the industry evolved over time, how I went from just kind of a, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, not necessarily a freelancer, but you know, you just started out just kind of taking on the odd job here or there to being like, this is my full blown career until the, the end of the industry. Uh, I found it absolutely just, I could not stop reading this book. Cause I was like, man, what a wild ride that is. And what I really love about your story, Doug, is that, and I mean, this with no, um, disrespect to you. Like it's, you kind of just fell ass backwards into it. Oh, absolutely. Like I, 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 I literally, not- Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, well, yeah, I, was, I, I literally fell off a bicycle and landed in this job. Like yeah. that is absolute true. So I don't mean to spoil the whole book, but I would love to like, I guarantee you there's a lot of people being like, how the fuck does somebody get that job? And, you know, unfortunately that job's not as readily available these days because of YouTube and walkthroughs online and all that kind of stuff. But um, without, without giving away the entire book. Yeah. How, how the fuck, how does, how does a guy get a fucking job like that? Like that's not something you go and find on LinkedIn or something like that. No. And I mean, like right now, I know there's like some sort of skeleton of Prima Games still existing as an online site. And mm-hmm. I think they do like, here's your top 10 tips for whatever new game came out that week or whatever. Um, but the first step would probably be time machine. Like you're going to need a time machine <laughs> at this point because it's, I mean, even, even I got to the point like in the waning years, whereas if I was playing a game for fun and had trouble and it was like, I just jump on YouTube and have the answer in five seconds. And there was a moment where I was like, you know, you're not hurt. You're not helping your career right now by just like jumping on YouTube, but I get it. Um, But no, like the, it was really a matter of um, like, for some people, I imagine you cold called the editor and sent in a sample and like maybe eventually got a chance as a co-author, like in, in an emergency situation. But myself and each of the other authors that I know and really respect and worked with, we all got introduced to this through someone who already had it. So it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario. Um, like myself, I was, um, I was, I had met this guy Tim Bogan, and I talk about this in the book. Um, you know, we happened to live in the same town, and he had an in because he used to work um, for Nint- uh, for Sony writing um you know he would be the person so all right back up for a second in the 90s when you had trouble with a video game there was a number in the manual there was these things called users manuals that came with the game and there would be like hey for tips if you get stuck call this number well tim was one of the guys who would answer the phone and give you tips for that like final fantasy tactics or whatever playstation one um, like cool borders too or something like that and he kind of parlayed that into a job with brady games and then i met him and he needed an emergency co-author so he ended up introducing me and then down the road like i introduced michael lummis i know my good friend joe epstein got introduced through someone else and he returned a favor and everybody kind of paid it forward i have to believe there were no more than like 20 of us writing these strategy guides and you had you know, you had Prima Games putting out 80 books a year, Brady putting out 100 books a year at the peak 
of this. And then you had like companies like Versus and Piggyback kind of coming in and putting out a few books a year. But like out of all these books, there was probably no more than like 20 to 30 people writing them. Um, so it, yeah, it was just very, very insular in that way. Right. That's wild, man. And it's wild. Like, so I've always thought that like, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always thought like when I was in like high school, I thought like, man, I would love to be like a video game reviewer. Like that would be like the coolest job in the world. And then I'll be honest, even younger, like well before I started doing, cause like I found, <laughs> I have found some way to fucking manipulate my way into making a living talking about video games. Now I have no idea how the fuck this happened. But even back in the day when I thought about wanting to be a video game reviewer or something like what you did, I always thought that like, I wonder if it would hurt my love of the hobby. And I even worried about that when I got into this, I'm like, is it gonna... Like, I'll be like, I, I think most listeners know, like, I'm a stand up comedian to go with the podcast. And I used to love stand up comedy. And I won't lie to you, like, I've become completely disenchanted with stand up comedy since I started making a living at I still like doing it, but I don't watch it. I don't listen to it. I'm like, it's a job now. Like, it's when I'm not working doing stand up, I really don't look at stand up. So I always thought, like, I wonder if game reviewers, player guide writers, et cetera, like, I wonder if you guys ever think like, well, this is cool, but like, I don't really enjoy playing games outside of work anymore because I spend so much time doing it. Did you find that? Like, did it kind of take away the love of the hobby per se and make it into more of a job for you? I I absolutely love playing video games still. Um, I play games every day, um, but, but to your point, there was this, um, I'm much more selective in the games I play. Like Xbox Game Pass is saving me so much money because okay. every week I'll install three or four games. And as soon as they start to feel like, oh, this is a game that's like work, I uninstall it. Like yeah. I need something that's simple. Like every day I, I sit and play Hearthstone Battlegrounds um, because it's simple. I don't have to like, you know, think about it. Like there's a lot of games that have come out the last couple of years that I respect so much, like Control. Like mm -hmm. Control is great. Red Dead 2. These games are work for me. Like I can't turn off that part of my brain that work wrote strategy guides for 18 years right now every now and then there's a game that'll come along that um like really kind of threads the needle for me like hades i got on such a kick with hades oh. couldn't stop playing it was like dreaming about it waking up at four <laughs> in the morning and playing it and then going back to bed because i was waking up dreaming about it and yeah. uh, but other than that like i mean the last game i think i like got a thousand gamer score on was Wreckfest. So I need like, I'm much more on the like, I'm going to turn my brain off now and just like chill. This is right. my popcorn. Like it's more about popcorn gaming. Right. And it must be nice because I, I, I mean, when you're writing the guides, like I, 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 I assume you've got to find everything. And like, I know there are so many games, dude. And I mean, it's obviously become a much more predominant part of gaming these days with all the giant open world collectathon fucking go find 3 billion little, you know, things like that. But even like back in the day, I mean, you mentioned like Banjo-Tooie. I've not played Banjo-Tooie, but I played Banjo-Kazooie for the podcast uh, a year and a half ago. And like at its core, like that game's just one giant collectathon. And it was a lot yeah. of fun, but there were so many things that I just like the music notes, having to find a hundred music notes. And I'm like, I'm missing fucking three. And I always feel guilty looking shit up. So I'm trying to play through it. But at, at some point I cave and I'm like, I'm looking this up. My time is worth more than my pride and I'm fucking sick of looking for this. Like it must've been like to write those guides, you had to fucking find every one of those things. And now it must be nice to be able to be like, like you said, well, this game's becoming work. I don't want to fucking play this anymore. Did you ever like, like when you were writing the guides, did you have like, was it on you to find everything? Like, did they help you? Like, did the develop, like, did the game developers come in and be like, I know you're missing two notes here where they are. Like, this is an example. Here's where they are. Or was it on you to 
go sit in your fucking room, Doug, and find every one of these notes because that's what we're paying you for type thing. Yeah, um, this is one of the like one of the questions I love when people ask because ninety percent of the time it was on us. Um, there were it, it would like you know and, and right now like my my hand is twitching just thinking back to like the Spider Man two game on PS two. I love like, that with, game. There was, there was but like if you I think I have like a fold out poster map in my book <laughs> that's like a trifold poster of the whole city right. and there's got to be three hundred callouts on there and yeah we had to find all those um, Banjo Tooie we had to find them all now some developers like um, hat tip to NeverSoft with the Tony Hawk games they would send me well hell they would even send me like the code for the chip system like they would send me the intern like almost like the source code so okay. I'd be able to parse out like point values and things but they would send me um it started with just the gap lists like here's a list of all the gaps and how much points they're worth um and that was like on Tony Hawk 3 and by the time I got done doing all the Tony Hawks like Tony Hawk Proving Ground or 8 or whatever the hell it was called um they would actually even like somebody in their QA department would send me screenshots with like illustrated like arrow like grind this rail jump ollie to this rail so but that was super rare um my buddy, like I mentioned, Joe Epstein and I, he uh, he and I co-authored the Mario Odyssey guide. And I mean, just finding all those moons. I mean, uh -huh. it was like scouring the world. And that was and I, and I mentioned this in the book. Normally, once I got done with Banjo-Tooie and Conqueror's Bad Fur Day back in like 2001, I did the walkthrough um, for all the guides. Like I always wrote the walkthrough, I always soloed the walkthrough for whatever game it was. And, uh, you know, my co-author would work on peripheral chapters or, you know, the, the weapons, the bestiaries, the items lists, all that stuff, or the multiplayer. But a game like Mario Odyssey, when, you know, we're on site for just a couple of weeks with that game, it was just like, yeah, there's no way in hell one person can write the, the whole walkthrough for Mario Odyssey. And we had yeah. to like break that up because, and we needed each other's help finding some of the stuff, you know, it was, I'll never forget, like in Mario Odyssey, one of the power moons you get for sitting down on a park bench next to a guy in, um, in whatever that city was called. New, I can't New remember. New Dunk City. It. Yeah. New Dunk City. Yeah. yeah. And there was one and I could not figure out how to get this power moon. And it was like me and my buddy were like, for like hours trying to figure it out. And then finally, like, I was like, oh, I could sit down on this park bench. And then the guy was like all depressed and he just needed a friend for a moment to acknowledge him and you get a power moon for that. And that was that was kind of one of the moments where I'm like, OK, this game is special. And I know I'm getting off topic here, but oh, my God. Oh, like, that game is. Game, oh, that game's what a game to go out on. Like yeah. that, that was like one of my last two or three guides and like what a game to go out on. Yeah, that game is like it's I mean, everyone knows like I, I have a Mario hard on through and through. I adore Mario. But like to me, Mario Odyssey is the best Mario game ever made. That's not Super Mario World. And I think the only reason I put Super Mario World ahead of it is because of my insanely strong nostalgic ties to Super Mario. Mario Odyssey is a masterpiece. Having said that, and I have 100% did that game twice. Like that's my it's one of my favorite games ever. Uh, the idea of having two weeks to find every moon and that like the darker side of the moon and shit like that. I, oh my God, I would like this. I'll never play a video game again. That just sounds like torture. I, oh my God. Yeah. I just, just to, normally we would only have two weeks. That one actually did. We almost spent like a whole month at okay. Nintendo for that one. So just, just, I mean, yeah, just to get it clear on that one. So, so I had two questions to follow up on that. Number one, um, you had mentioned that like, you know, like a Neversoft with the Tony Hawk games, they would send you all this information and be like, yo, like, here's this, here's this, we'll help you out. But other companies were kind of like, you're on your own. Like, like how do game developers feel about these guides? Like, did they like, do they look at them as like a positive or like a negative, like, is it a necessary evil? Like, did they not like you guys? Like, I've always wondered that, like, do they like these guides or are these guides like a hindrance to them? 
I think, you know, this, so this kind of gets back to that relationship between the developer and the publisher, you know, so the, for the developer, I kind of feel like, you know, especially towards the end, everybody just took us as like, you're not worth the money anymore. And you know, it's just too much of a hassle, especially as games got to the point where like, they're constantly evolving and like, well, what, what's the point? The book's going to be obsolete a week after release to anyway, right. you know? Um, but back in the day, uh, you know, like, so Brady games or Prima games or whoever, they would pay the publisher, you know, huge royalties and um, an advanced fee, like over a million dollars just to get exclusive access to the game. For the developer, I think we were oftentimes kind of like a nuisance, like, why do I have to deal with you now? Because we would fall onto some producer, like when I, I was on site at, at Blizzard for almost three full months, 90 days or so working on Diablo 3. And I'm sure um, his name his name is Matt Panapindo. I'm sure the associate producer who was kind of like in charge of like handling my needs was just wishing I would go away. I mean, he's trying to get this game done, and here I am, like, oh, my build crashed again. My build crashed again. Like, right. hey, where's you know why isn't this working? And he's like, because you know, I'm sure he just wanted to like grab me by the shoulders and be like, because the game isn't fucking ready yet. Like, yeah. get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, like you said, like so. They're, sorry, so they're getting a. They got would get like paid a fee by you know Prima or whomever, like whoever the player guide. What like you, just round number. You're like, we'll give you a million dollars and then X percentage of royalties in exchange for the rights to make the guide to your game. But the game developers, everyone working on the internals of the game, it's not like they're getting a kickback from that million. Their job is just to finish the game. So they're the ones that are like, okay, like fuck off, Doug. I need to get the game done. And you're like, I get that, but I need to write the book about it, type thing. Yeah, and so that's normally how it was. Like there were some other developers that were super cool about it. Like I loved going to Epic to work on the Gears of Wars games. Um, Gears one, two, three, and Judgment were were so. I did the book for Gears four, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, Gears one through three and Judgment were so much fun. Like I loved going to Epic. We had great support. Um, but like normally, like you know, kind of piggybacking on your prior question is like, well, what if I don't? What if I can't find something? What if mm -hmm. I get a? You know, the way it would work was like I would email my questions to my editor at Brady Games. They would then reach out to their licensing contact at the publisher. The publisher, when they got around to it, would then email the product the. Uh, the producer at the developer. The developer would then contact somebody in QA. Okay. And then the QA, by the time it got back to me, it was a week's gone by. I already solved it. Like I already, so it was almost to the point where like, there's really no sense in even asking anymore. Like depending on the developer, some developers were fantastic and they get back to you immediately. Sometimes like, again, like with Neversoft, I would be put in direct contact with them or like on site at Epic. I could just walk down the hall and like ask, you know, the producer like, hey, you know, I'm having trouble with this. But for other times, especially if we were dealing with like a title, like, like with Konami or Capcom or somebody or Square, it was just like, you might as well not even ask the question, like, because right. you're never going to get the answer in a timely manner. Right. And you're on a deadline, right? Like, it's not like you can release this this guide like a month after the game comes out. I assume they probably by and large launched, if not day and day with the game. They had to have been very, very close, eh? Like they were on a They deadline. were day and day. They were, right. yeah. Um, and, the, and the tail, like, I know that like the, the sales cliff was like within a week to two weeks. It was like, you're getting like minuscule sales after that. It's sure. like, it had to be on the counter, especially for big titles. You know, yeah. back when people actually went into a store to buy the game. Um, and that was another thing that killed the industry. I know we talked about YouTube and things like that, but once people no longer had to go to a store to yeah. buy the game, they weren't going to go to a store to buy a book.
Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Cause yeah, I remember that. Like you'd go into like a, an EB games, GameStop, whatever you want to call it. And like, they'd have them right there on the counter. in those like those, those plastic stands, like you go up to buy the game and the player guide wrapped in plastic. And I love that they were always wrapped in plastic so that you couldn't open it and flip through and see like one quick, like you had to buy it to get it out of the plat. I that's clever. I like that. <laughs> uh, so then like, cause did you didn't do like the, did you, you didn't lay out the guide. Did you like you, would you submit all that to like an editor or somebody that would then lay out the guide and how it would all be presented and stuff like that? Or were you in charge of all that as well? No. Um, what we would do is we would format the book um, in Word using different codes. Like this is a note, this is going to be a tip, this is a header for a tip. Here's my okay. five different, um, you know, my forms of bulleted lists. And so we would, in a way, quote unquote, design the book in okay. Word with style templates. But then, um, you know, these publishers had really, really talented layout staff and book designers who would come up and, um, you know, really make every page kind of like its own thing. And, you know, we were responsible for doing screenshots. We were responsible for mapping anything like in call outs. Um, but in terms of, you know, designing or laying out the book, no, like Brady Games, Prima Games versus Piggyback, they all have their own design teams. Okay. That, you know, like skilled graphic artists. So then, okay. So then that's interesting to me because like you said, the game, like you want to launch the, the guide day and day with the game. So then how, how far in advance do you need to submit your finalized work so that they have time to, you know, put it all into a, and print them and get them ready and ship them out. Like, like how much time did they need in advance to get them printed and everything and shipped out? So the, Back like, you know, years ago during the, let's just say like the PS2, Xbox 360 era, it was always kind of like 30 days before the game release date. And okay. it wasn't like I had to have everything done and all at once because, you know, and I used to think that I used to be like, oh my God, the whole book has to be done, you know, by this date. And then I realized, well, an editor can't edit 300 pages in one day. They can't right. lay out. So it was like, okay, just keep the conveyor belt moving. So, you know, here's, here's five chapters to hold you over. And then I, I buy myself a little time that way. Um, but the only reason that we were able to make that work um was because brady games they were based in indianapolis they had a local printer that would you know that they could kind of rely on like at the last minute to get a big order printed and shipped after penguin and random house merged and brady games and prima games merged um prima wanted to use like their their, their printers were coming out of china now so the lead time was so much more in advance and then also part of that time that gets factored into that whole like 30 days before release we needed to give the game publisher and their legal team a chance to go through and make any corrections. And sometimes this would be like, oh, um, you know, it like, or I should say readers would probably think like, oh, you know, this isn't the way you beat that boss or, you know, but they were more likely listening, looking for, um, you know, did we capitalize all their trademark names properly and things right. like they're looking for the legal manners. Um, so that was, that was something that would end up adding time. And it got to the point that one of my major frustrations towards the end of this whole thing, like 2017, 2018, is that they wanted more time for the approval process than I was getting to write the book. Oh, Jesus. I, and that I, was like, it was like, what do you mean you need two months for approvals? I'm getting three weeks to write a 300 page book. Like, yeah, yeah. Now. That's so did they all, so did they get final say in what's in like, like, obviously, like, I assume that part of like, when you like, like like when they when when a game uh when a game guide 
publisher would cut a deal with a game developer or publisher, whatever to, to make the game. I assume part of that deal is like, we can put everything that's in your game in our book, like any secret endings or twists or stuff like that. Did the game developer or publisher kind of have final say on what was in the, like, were they able to tell you guys, we don't want that secret ending in the book or we don't want this in the, where they were allowed to, to say they don't want something in the book, even though that's kind of what the player guide is for is to put everything from the game <sighs> in the book. Yeah, this is a this was a major source of of like conflict conflict between us. Um, we would try and if there was ever a book that came out missing something, I can guarantee you the author of that guide and the publisher of the guidebook fought like hell to get it included. Okay. Um, the data pads from Halo Reach. I was going back and forth with three four three and Bungie because that was like Bungie's last game with that um, to get those data pads. I'm like these are the hardest things to find in the whole game. And, uh, you know, we finally, after back and forth, back and forth, I got them to at least allow me to write a bulleted list of cryptic clues as to where they were. Hmm. Now, mind you, like the very first data pad in Halo Reach, you get off the helicopter at the start of the game. There's an invisible, I can't remember enemy names. He's running away from you. He's invisible and he has one on his back and you, and only appears, I think, on like the hardest difficulty. So like, like how can we not put that in the book um our to this day uh I, I mentioned joe earlier he's you know he did this amazing weapon section for borderlands 2 um where he found out how to like get all of the legendaries and gearbox basically um you know quote unquote classified a number of these that took him like a week to find and had him figure out how to get and how to reliably get for the game. And they ended up like removing it from the book after he spent like a week trying to put them all in. Man, that's like, again, I, 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 I used to like reading the books, like after I was done a game, just cause like, especially cause you mentioned, and we'll get into this later on, but you mentioned in your book about how toward the end, the books became much more kind of formulaic and less creative and a little bit. And like, I, I remember way back, like, like, uh, Skyrim, for example, or Earthbound, even Earthbound. Earthbound is the player guide that I use, and I know you guys didn't write that one. But like, I, I loved just the, I loved just like I would read that book like on the toilet as a kid. I would take that book with me and just read. I just found it fascinating to read, and I love that. But I assume players that bought the player guides to help them beat games and find everything in games bought them specifically because the, by and large they assumed everything from the game was in the book. So they're like, no matter how stuck I get, this book will help me find it. So that's yeah, that would that's huge. Like that would piss me off if I spent, you know, 20 bucks or whatever on a book. And then these data pad things aren't even like, that's what I'm looking for. And I, and they're not in there. That's, that would have been so frustrating, especially if you put all the time into finding them and fucking doing all that work. And then they're like, no, you can't tell everybody that it's like, well, that's well, fuck me. That's it, it didn't, it didn't involve me. It was a touch before my time, but I mean, the biggest, biggest case of this is the whole final fantasy nine strategy guide where, um, you know, and I and I talk about how this ended up happening. It's infamous in the game, in like in this gaming world, this world of gaming. But uh, it is Square basically removed? I mean, Jesus, like you want to say a third to half the guide, and said, and we had to put tip boxes in saying like, go to the Square Play Online site for clues. And it was like people just bought a twenty dollar book, man, and you remove the third of it to direct them to a, a website that doesn't even exist anymore. Like, what the hell? Christ. That's fucking wild, man. I, wow. I, it's so funny because on our end, we just buy the books and use the books and read the books. And like to see the kind of seedy underbelly of what it takes to get one of these books out, 
That's wild. Now, another thing you mentioned that's interesting to me is like, we've talked about this on the podcast at nauseum. One of the great things about retro gaming is there's no patches. There's no, like when you buy a game, like my Nintendo 64 sitting right behind me, I'm playing Diddy Kong racing right now to get ready for remember the game. And like, it's nice that when I plug that game in, that's the game warts broken works whatever like the game is the game is the game nothing is changing and you mentioned that like one of the problems with a with a paper non-updatable player guide is that as updates come out and new weapons get patched in or whatever you the, the guide becomes obsolete sometimes in a matter of weeks but you know after the game is out but you guys if you had to get these guides done say a month before the game release just a, a round number there must have been countless times where like you said you guys were using unfinished copies of the game to try to like did you ever run into instances where you submitted it and everything was done and then they were like oh no we actually changed the last fucking you know this whole section of the game and now you're now you need to rewrite this part in like two days or anything like that like did you ever run into that because you're almost dealing with like day one patches before day one type thing where they're changing the game on your last minute you know i got pretty lucky in that um most of the time it was like hey like it's like a gears of war game oh we moved this cog tag but during approvals they caught it and hey like we replaced it with a different screenshot okay um so it was like some developers were pretty cool about that like as we kind of like wound things down um you know uh like because i ended up taking off in two years in 2014 uh i i my wife and i left and i know you talk about travel on your on your podcast sometimes and mm -hmm. we spent two years bicycling around the world um, so I have a gap there and that seemed to be like right at the transition point from where games were kind of moving into this, like everything's a service now and right. everything. I mean, you want to get me to not buy your game, put open world survivor crafting on the title in bullet points and I will not buy your game. And that <laughs> seemed to be about the time when like everything started shifting in that way. So I got lucky in that because like pre 2014, it wasn't as common or the changes because you know they had to get the gold master and all that stuff yet um then again the last real book i did before that was diablo 3 and i had to rewrite the skills chapter for that book five times that's why i was on site night for 90 days because um, blizzard just kept revamping the entire skill system and then uh we did go back to do the update when they released it for console and then i went back another time for the reaper of souls expansion and I hadn't played much Diablo three in that intermediary. And like, when we sat down, it was like, okay, this is a completely different game. The way the weapons work, everything works. It was like our original guide from just a year and a half ago is it's, it's, it's garbage. Like it doesn't even, it, it's almost like not even the same game anymore. So I, I imagine that's a lot more common now, years and years ago, Brady games was, uh, they brought in all the authors for like a little one day author retreat. And this was about the time, um, World of Warcraft was going into a beta and they were like, oh, there's this game, you know, we're looking to get a team of authors, you know, keep in mind that this is going to be an evolving thing like this, these MMOs and we need an, a team of authors to kind of commit to updating this like throughout the year okay. for like going off into the future. And I remember me and a few of the other authors just like pushed away from the table. We were like, I don't want any part of that because yeah. to me one of the benefits of my job as a strategy guide author versus somebody who actually makes games i was working on six to ten different projects a year sure. you know i couldn't imagine what it was like i'm stuck working on this one game for three years 
Like I oh, can't even yeah. imagine what that would be like. It, it's funny you say that. Like we all know about the cyberpunk fiasco from last year where they released, you know, CD Projekt Red released cyberpunk and it didn't fucking work and everyone was pissed off. And like, I, I know nothing about game development. Uh, as we talked about before I got this going, I literally had a hard time getting Zoom working to fucking do this call. So I'm the last guy on the planet that should be making video games. But my heart broke because I am an artist. I'm a comedian. I, I create and my heart broke for the developers of that fucking game because I'm sure they had zero intention of releasing something broken. And it was a certain, you know, whoever you want to call them, the fat cats, the powers that be the, the executives up top that were like, this has to release for holidays. We have shareholders, blah, 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 blah. And it broke my heart to think that like how many years of those developers lives went into this game. And instead of being able to be proud of the fact, like they could tell someone at a bar, like, oh yeah, I, I was, you know, one of the guys that worked on cyberpunk. Like I, I assume most of them don't even want to tell somebody they fucking worked on cyberpunk because, you know, a gamer is going to fucking throw tomatoes at them because that game was so broken. So like you said, at least, yeah, you were flipping between projects. I can't even, yeah, I, to, to spend years and years of your life. And I guarantee you that a lot of these game developers are very passionate. Like this isn't, it's, yeah. it's not just, a nine to five where they go in and put numbers into a spreadsheet. Like they're creating something that they want to be proud of. And then to be told it has to be released broken. We'll fix it later type thing. I just, I don't mean to go on a side tangent, but like, that's just one example that just, I really felt bad for the developers that worked on that video game. Well, you just reminded me of like one of the memories that I, I write about in, in the walkthrough was I was on site at shiny entertainment, rest in peace, um, doing the guide for enter the matrix. And I cannot imagine how excited those developers must have been to be like, guys, we got the matrix. Like, I mean, you got to go back, think about 2002 to 2003. Like the sure. there was nothing bigger than the matrix back then. And to think like, oh my God, we got the Matrix license. And then I remember it was like my last day there on site. The game was garbage. And um, this one of the devs came into the office I was in at like two in the morning and he just looked like a, uh, like a shell of himself. And he was like, just tell me any, just be honest, man. Is this thing any good? And it was like, the cinematics are really cool. And that was like the best I could tell him. Like it was like, no, it wasn't. And, and you could tell he knew but he needed somebody to just say it. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I really I really feel for those, those folks who put that much effort into it. That was one of my favorite parts of your book. Like, and, and like, you guys, we're going to plug the book at the end. I, I can't recommend enough that you guys pick this up. It's a, it's, it's I just, I, like I said, I did it in two sessions. I read this entire book. It was just fascinating. And that, and I don't, and like, everyone yells at me all the time because I haven't seen any movies. I've never seen the Matrix movies. Like, I don't know anything about it. Everyone always <laughs> yells at me. I think I saw the original Matrix once, like in high school. And I don't remember other men. I remember the red pill and blue pill and the dodging of the bullets. Like, I don't know anything about the Matrix, but I do know how big it was. And yeah, you talked about that in your book about how, like, it was like, you'd be working on this game that has to do with the Matrix movie sequel thing. And it was all so excited. Then you were like, and it was just the worst game ever and then for you to be sitting there that specific moment in your book and i that yeah where that, that that guy comes in and he's like just tell me the truth man is it good that breaks my heart because again like it's yeah. game developers i mean i'm sure there are people that just get into game development because it's a job and they need to put food on the table but i would be willing to bet that like a, a vast vast majority of the people that make video games love and play video games and like, it's probably their, you know, they probably had this dream of getting into the hobby and then being the one to be like, you know, I made insert great video game here. And to, yeah, to read that story and to be, and like, we all know, like it's, I talk about it. Listen, how many episodes of remember the game have we done about old movie video games where like most of them suck, 
because they had to get him out to go with the movie and they're just you know we've all talked about him there's more bad than good but that matrix story man the the, the when you told that story the guy coming in and just being like just tell me the truth man is it any good oh rip my heart out that poor guy oh god was that the worst game you think he worked on uh it, it's up there um I, I, you know, there was this one, I think it's called Death by Degrees. It was um, a, a Tekken spinoff starring like the Nina character. And um, I remember submitting the text for that. It was almost like kind of like Nina is doing like a Metal Gear impersonation. But all of the uh, all the controls, it was for PS2 and all the controls were involved flicking the two dual um, the thumbsticks in various like directions. And uh, I remember submitting the text for this book. And being like, I hope it's good. I still don't know how to play this game. Like I finished the whole book and I was like, I had no idea how to play this game because the controls were so bad. Um, and the one thing I'll never forget about that, other than me saying that, was, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, Tekken was um, Namco, right? Namco coming back and, um, you know, during the approval process, we were talking about they needed approvals and they, they kept correcting, um, like I would say like, a sentence might be like, grab the three grenades from the crate next to whatever. And they'd be like, no, it's not grenades. It's grenade. That's the official term. And I'm like, right, but we're in English. And if there's three of them, we put an S on it. And it was, you know, it was just one of those moments where like so frustrating. It's like, okay, this game is not good. First of all, there should not even be a book for this game. <laughs> like now you're doubling down on whether or not grenades is plural or singular it was so frustrating it was like just get out of here with this project i'm done i'm done now it's what because you mentioned in the book how uh sometimes like a a game guide like publisher would, would kind of have to like take on some crappy games to, in order to get the good one that's a thing in comedy too a lot of clubs they'll have to book an agent will have two shitty comics and they'll tell a comedy club, you need to book our two shitty comics if you want our good comic. Like that, you know, the drawing comic. It's So I understand that that whole mentality. But you also mentioned that, you know, like there was probably 20 or 30 people at, at, at getting to do your job at any point. Were you like, were you were you ever able to just say no? Like, would that have just, like if someone called you up and said, hey, we want you to cover, insert shitty game here. And you're like, I don't know. I don't want to do that. Like, did you have enough? Were you able to do that? Or was that something where you kind of had to take what you were given? You know, I, I definitely, I got to the point pretty quickly where I um, almost had like first dibs. Like, you know, it's amazing that the, the authors who did the most books, our, our genre preferences didn't overlap a whole lot. And I was kind of, um, you know, the uh, I, I could do a lot of different games styles. I, I didn't do fighting games and I didn't do like, you know, big MMOs or, you know, huge RPG type stuff, but everything else I can pretty much do. Um, I said no actually to like a Resident Evil title once because I was just not a fan of those like tank controls from the PS1 era. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just like, no, on the Resident Evil front. Um, and then I think I, I never said no to like a Call of Duty, but I definitely was like, well, I'm not really sure that's the best fit for me. You, right. you know, like something like that. And this, you know, mind you, um, I loved, you know, Gears of War third person stuff. Um, I had, I kind of had my say, but at the same time, you know, if I knew like, oh, I still owe them three books for this year's contract and we're running out of time, then I would just, that's how I end up doing a game like Death by Degrees or, or, you know, like, um, well, the Matrix, I was still a noob back then. Right. Um, 
but like i mean to be honest with you it also depended on the title and if it it might be a big title that i didn't want to do like when they when the head of brady games and the editor-in-chief called me like on a on a conference call and they they were all excited and they're like we want you to do the book for halo reach i was like you know kind of faking my enthusiasm on the phone and i hung up and i was like god damn it like i hate halo <laughs> like I, I did not want to do it. Like I was like, this is going to be one of the biggest titles I do, you know, in, maybe in my career. Sure. I didn't want to do it. And then, um, so I was like, cause I, my memories with Halo one and two were just not the greatest, but then fortunately some friends were like, dude, just play ODST. You'll like ODST. And I, yeah. I loved ODST. Unfortunately, reach was a little bit more like ODST. Yeah. So I ended up loving it. It ended up becoming one of my favorite games that I ever worked on. But man, I, I remember like all I wanted to do was be like, no effing way. I, like, I, I do not want to do a Halo guide. That's wild because you would think, yeah, Halo is one of those franchises that you'd think people would be tripping over each other to be like, oh my God, I don't have to do, you know, SpongeBob bikini bottom anymore. I want Halo. And you're just like, <laughs> no, I'll take, I don't want to do fucking Halo. I'll do SpongeBob. That's fine. I just wondered that. Like, when I was reading your book, I was like, I wonder, like, how many times could you say no to a game before? The, the powers that be would just be like, all right, well, we're not fucking calling Doug anymore. The fucking prima donna won't do any of these games. Like, yeah, no, it never, it never got to that. I mean, that's like, you know, when I, um, at, at first I was like, just give me what you want me to do. Like, uh, you know, some, uh, like Mario Kart for the game boy. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Bring it yeah. on. Like I'll do, I'll do anything. Um, and then eventually I was, I was one of a couple people that had, um, an annual contract that was like, okay, you're going to do, you know, nine or 10 books a year. And, um, sometimes, you know, like one book, like, like Borderlands two or Diablo or something like that would count for multiple books on my contract because it was, you know, such a huge project. Sure. Um, but you know, I mean, shit early on, like, Oh, you're, you're the Tony Hawk guy. Yeah. I love Tony Hawk. Okay. Well now you're going to do this like Sean Palmer snowboarding games. Like, uh, okay. Now you're going to do these BMX games. So like I got, you get pigeonholed and right. I remember complaining about it to an editor and he was like, dude, these action sports games are your meal ticket. Like, yeah. do not sh like, do not complain. Yeah. Like, right. And that was <laughs> the other thing is like, I, I mean, like if there's, you know, if there's 30 people writing these guides, there's gotta be thousands of people out there that would love to be one of those 30 people that's writing these guides so that was something that went through my head was i was like yeah do you ever like maybe you can't answer this because maybe you weren't the one making the decision but like did the quality of your work ever play like were they like you know not you but like just fuck bill's guides always fucking suck but he always gets them in on time so we'll keep them around or was like was it like did that matter to them or like did they care more about just making sure you hit your deadlines or was like you got a reputation as writing the good guides. So they're like, well, we're going to give you more work. Cause we know that your guides don't suck. Like did they, maybe it's a dumb question, but like, did they care about the quality of the guides or were they just making sure they were done in time type thing? No, they definitely cared about the quality of the guides and the authors who could do a really thorough job and get it done on time and be reliable. Those were the ones who always got the first, you know, first pick of the sure. projects. There, there were some authors who would totally phone it in or they didn't know how to write well. They could be good gamers, but they, they weren't good writers. They couldn't organize because we had to do the layout. I mean, a lot of this was also like project management right. because like as we moved on, like it would be multiple people on a project and somebody had to kind of be, you know, herding the cats, right? Um, so being able to get it done well, accurate and on time, like that was the thing. And also 
there was something to be said for like knowing not to spend 50% of the time, like polishing the last 3% of the book, right. you know, like to know when like, okay, is it perfect? If I had another month to work on this, then I can really finally get these last few details that I would love to add, but we just don't have time knowing when to kind of pull that plug and just like let it roll. That was a big thing that they appreciated too, because there were some authors who would be like, okay, I'm going to keep polishing. I'm going to keep polishing. I'm going to keep polishing ignoring the deadline right. and it's like all right well you know you kind of it's and that's that's the same with artists of all sorts whether it's visual arts or authors like writing fiction it's like you got to know when it's done yeah yeah well and you guys were obviously like it must have been such a specific window between the point where like okay the game is done enough that you guys can play what is quote unquote a finalized edition to be able to write the guide but you also need enough time to submit it to the printers and all that kind of stuff like it must you must have had there's such a finite window between when the game is done enough that you can write about it, but you have enough time to get it submitted to launch day one with the game itself. That's yeah. That, that like, I'll be honest with you, considering it sounds like such a fun job. It sounds like an incredibly stressful fucking job. I have to be yeah, honest. I, I used to always think that like what you said was true. Like there was like thousand people wanting this job. There weren't like, yeah. there'd be a lot of people who like within, I even, uh, this is funny. When I started doing the guides for gears of war, um, I my friend Jim was like huge into it. And I was like, and I actually got, Brady to hire him as a multiplayer assistant like he would come down to epic and you know we would play we would sit in the room the two of us playing against bots like for 12 hours a day mm -hmm. and man I'll tell you like the sheen wore off real quick like the first couple hours he, you know it was all wide-eyed and like oh my god I'm at epic this is amazing I'm getting to play Gears of War early and by the second day he was like dude I don't know how you do this like this is not as much fun as I thought it would be. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it was work. It was work. I believe that I've thought that like, I, I, I consider myself lucky that like, I, I don't have, like I work for my, I don't know boss. Like I just, whatever I want to play and talk about is what I play and talk about. Like, I guess our patrons are kind of my boss because they tell me what episodes they want, but that's it. I have no deadlines or anything like that. I, I have legitimately thought that many times ever since I probably about the time I got out of high school and like IGN and stuff like that really blew up. And I was going to those websites and I knew so many people that would, God, they would have given their left arm to work at those things. And I was, and this kind of goes back to what we we're talking about the very beginning of the show. I was like, I feel like for a lot of people, this might ruin the hobby because it does take a hobby and make it into like a, this is a job. You're sick of this game, tough shit, keep playing it, find everything you're on a deadline. So, I mean, I'm sure, I, I assume you kind of made your own hours as long as you got the game in by the, or the, 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 the guy submitted by your deadline, but I'm sure you had to have had a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days with some of those fucking games. Like I'm sure you had to be very self-disciplined to get that work done in time type thing. Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was one of the hard part, like in your twenties, like I started doing the job when I was 24 years old. And at that point, like, you know, I'm kind of almost like getting off on the idea of like working all night, you know, oh, I work yeah. 30 hours straight and, you know, a hundred hours that week. And then, you know, by the time you're in your like mid to late thirties, you're like, well, that's not good. Like, don't be proud of that. Like how yeah. about you try and get this down to a five or six hour a day thing and then celebrate the rest. Um, shoot. I forgot what I was going to say. There was something else there. But it was, uh, yeah. So no, you, you shoot. I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask too, like, I, I, I mean, not to pry too into your personal life, but you mentioned the book yeah. that, you're, that you're married. Uh, yeah. like, was it ever hard on your relationship? Like to be away that long and to kind of like, cause like, I assume like, did you ever play the games at home? Like, did you always have to go to the developer to play the game or did they ever send you copies to be able to sit like at least from the comfort of you, like at least be able to like have dinner with your wife and then go back to work. Or did you always have to go on the road to do all of them? Most of the time I got to work from home. 
uh, most of the time. Yeah, that shifted with some of the big titles. And that was uh, kind of part of the reason why we ended up moving out to the West Coast was because I loved going to Nintendo to work on titles there. And I thought like, hey, you know, if I actually live just down the road, maybe I'll get more projects. Yeah. And um, and we wanted to change anyway. When it became a problem, like Diablo 3 was a lot of travel down to California. Um, but, you know, like my wife um, and into, oh, geez. For Borderlands 2, we spent, we were supposed to go down for one day. It was like, listen, Gearbox is going to be really cool. TK, 2K wants you to work on site because it's because they're worried about like piracy, mm -hmm. but Gearbox is going to give you a disc to go to bring home. So me and my co-author, we go down there and um, we're just like, we have lunch with them and they take us to some like ridiculous like boob restaurant like called Bone Daddy's or some bullshit. And uh, <laughs> we're like, okay, yeah, I mean, give me, it's Texas. Love and it. uh, and we're like, hey, we're gonna get a, we're gonna get a game and we're gonna go home. And then they're like, oh, sorry, you guys are gonna have to do this on site. Well, Borderlands 2 is a big freaking game. Yeah. So I remember I called my, the editor in chief who, you know, pays me. And I said, listen, I don't, I don't live in the Northwest and put up with Seattle rain from not, like November to May. So you can send me to Texas for my entire summer. Like, mm -hmm. this is crazy. Um, they ended up flying our partners down for almost like conjugal visit, like three weeks into the project. And so Brady games was pretty cool about that. Like they, they flew my wife down to California when I was working on Diablo also. And sure. uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, it sucked. Like we didn't have kids, but we have dogs and it sucked being away like for three to five weeks at a time. Oh, dude. I, yeah, I like, I go on the road for a week for stay. Like I've talked about that ad nauseum. One of the things I'm most grateful for with this podcast is that it's let me pick and choose my comedy dates. So I don't have to go on the road as often. I fucking hate going on the road and I don't have kids either. I, I have my girlfriend and my dog. And like my girlfriend, I think she looks forward to when I go on the road because she's like, it's a fucking break. But like to be away, to be away from a dog is just hell. And the poor dog doesn't, you try to explain, but the dog doesn't understand. And it just, ah, fuck that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That, that sounds like torture. Um, okay. A couple, I had, I had a couple questions. I have one question. This is going to sound like such a dumb question, but I had it written down while I was reading your book that I had to ask you. When you were playing through a game and uh, it, it doesn't even matter, pick whatever game you want. And you were like figuring out where all the collectibles, all the secrets are and stuff like that. This is just something that I need to know. Did you just have like a notebook that you were just script like, okay, level two, third door on the right, go around the corner and behind the shelf, there's this collectible. Like, did you just have, like, have you ever seen that meme of Charlie Day where he's got that clipboard or the, 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 bill, the bulletin board with all the notes and everything? Like, that's how I imagine you guys at least in the early stages. And then you're like, okay, now that we know where it all is, let's figure out how to make it into a guy. I'm just curious, like, was there any organization or was it just scribbling down as many things as you could find and then be like, all right, now we'll try to put this into some semblance of order. I'm just curious. It was video, video, all video. All video. Yeah, um, usually like eventually it was all video. Um, I also had um, screenshots. I had this uh, this macro taking screenshots right from the Xbox 360, um, and I had it run every four seconds. And I had it on a second monitor, and it just tracked my mouse movements. So, like out of the corner of my eye, I would see like the little arrow, like run up the screen, right click a button, and come down. and And sometimes I would like pause in the game and um, like to get the screenshot, and that would be my notes. But yeah, I also did have I I was often hitting pause and then typing on a, you know, on another computer, or um, I would have all the maps printed out. And uh, normally I did it through video while going to 
going over the video, but there were definitely times where I'm like writing on a map and putting X's on a map where, where I find everything like as I go through. Okay. Um, taking the screenshots though, that was one of the biggest hurdles because early on, like we didn't have great video. Um, we were doing it from like mini DV camcorders. And then when the games went to HD, you know, it cost a lot. There was a, a period there where it was not easy for the regular person to have HD capture equipment coming mm -hmm. off of um, coming like right out of a debug system. So I remember when I did the guide for Bioshock, uh, the original Bioshock, I, I had gone through the game multiple, multiple times, but I didn't have good screenshot ability and I didn't know about the macro thing yet. So after writing the whole book, finishing the maps and everything, my wife took a day off from work and she sat next to me as I played through the entire game, start to finish and like finding every single thing that I needed a screenshot for. And I would like, like say, okay, now. And she would take a screenshot, like using my mouse and keyboard on another monitor. And then like, you know, and like every, every 10 seconds, I'm like, okay, now take a screenshot. And then I pause and be like, all right, like when we come around this corner, there's going to be a shadow of one of the splicers with a bassinet. And like, I want that screenshot because it's super cool, you know, because I just know all these things like, okay, the big daddy's going to do this. Like when he, when he starts to turn this color, take the screenshot, you know, yeah. um, that was no way to do screenshots. <laughs> yeah, technology. Oh, but I remember what I was gonna what I was gonna say before when you were talking about like the hours and stuff. You know, I would have all these people be like, "Oh, your job's so amazing! It must be nice to just like sit and play games all day." And I would say to them like, "Cause no, at two in the morning when I know that I'm gonna like blow a deadline because I can't save the." fucking princess in the castle mm -hmm. like the job's not really fun then when the like the final boss of the game is broken and you can't beat it and you can't actually write about oh. like the final boss strategy my god darksiders darksiders 3 was the last book i wrote a guide for and there were parts of that game where i would i mean this was like three days before deadline where the world would just like disappear and i'd be like walking through a mesh right and it and it was like okay like i'm supposed to have this book done in three days like fun game. And when I finally got a build that actually worked, I really enjoyed it. But sure. man, that was frustrating oh. as hell. It's funny before, before we started recording, we were talking about game rage and how I, you know, I, I am angry. Adam has become a character here to remember the game. It's not a fake character. I fucking games make me so goddamn angry sometimes, but then like, fortunately, and it's something I'm learning as an adult is like, if a game's really starting to make me angry, fucking just turn it off, go watch <laughs> baseball or go outside or play something else or just something. But I guess, yeah, like I can't even do that to me of all the all the aspects of your job that sound difficult. That was always the one like reading your book. That was always the thing that stuck with me the most was like the idea of being stuck somewhere in a game and just being so fucking angry and then being like, I can't even stop. Like, I can't even walk away because I've got a deadline and I have to get through this somehow. And then to think that you're playing a copy that's not even done and it's unbeatable and you still have to find a way to, that just like, I'm getting angry just sitting here thinking about that. That just sounds, <laughs> that sounds so not fun to me. Fuck Jesus. Oh. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention the exact detail, but there is a story in the book about having to go to Electronics Boutique and buy a developer a new controller because I broke their fucking controller. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do know that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's so good. Uh, okay, so I covered that. I really just wanted to know how you fucking wrote your notes out because that's something for me. So before we wrap this up, I, I wanted to ask you, like, obviously, and, and you seem to be quite at peace with it and happy with your life now, but, like, I don't mean to belittle the fact that, like, it, it, you lost your job. Basically, everyone in yeah. that industry lost their jobs when that economy kind of went, it, you know, that 
players guides went the way of the dodo and kind of died off and we've seen that happen in video get like i mean sega stopped making con it's not a dig at you saturnians either but like sega stopped making consoles and i'm sure countless people lost their jobs i i have said many times that i really think game pass is going to revolution like i think by the end of this generation game pass will be the way we play games and i think that other people will find a way to do the same thing and i like it's not there's no like as we all know physical games are dying they're not dead yet but digital has become a huge part of like i buy digital so like you know eb games is going out of business we all know gamestop eb games whatever you want to call them i don't think they're long for this world and i'm not celebrating it but a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and i i think that part of part of game gaming is technology and part of technology is you either adapt or die like that's just part of as as the industry grows do you think there was any way i know you said that there's like a skeleton of the player guide industry still around today but like was there ever any discussion when you were in that industry of being like, well, why don't we transition to like a website where people could either go and we could sell advertising or we could make a subscription model and just make all our player guides digital. Like, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, cause I know I can go on YouTube right now and look up where the last moon in Mario Odyssey is in three seconds. But like, if you guys had made a cool website where all these things would have still been in like one area with your fancy layouts and fun, like, was there ever a discussion of that? Or did, were they all just kind of, we know this is a sinking ship and we're just going to get as much out of it as we can. I think it was both. Um, you know, they did have some websites. They were like Brady games and Prima. They had websites, they had some digital content. And it was kind of cannibalizing the guides. I remember, you know, being like, oh, I finished this book. Good. I'm going to move on to the next one or go on vacation. And I get an email and be like, oh, now we, uh, for the website, we need you to, uh, you know, write the 10 best strategies for like the final boss. I'm like, didn't, aren't we trying to sell a book like on that? Why are we giving it away on the website? Um, when I had the conversation with um, the editor in chief about me leaving to go on a bike tour, um, this was at the end of 2012. I said, hey, you know, 2013, I'm still hoping to do this, but we're, do we're planning on leaving in 2014. And she said, I can give you a contract for 2013. I will try to keep you as busy as I can in 2014 before your trip. After that, I just hope, I don't even know if we'll have a job anymore. Right. And that was like, so that was all the way back in 2012, the end of 2012, when we had that conversation. So the fact that it actually took until 2018 for them to finally die, and there had been many layoffs by then, and obvious, like, you know, huge reduction in the amount of books they were putting out. Sure. Um, so everybody kind of knew it was coming. As for the website thing, I mean, you said it yourself, like, just, you're, people are still just going to jump to YouTube for three seconds and yeah. get that answer, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the, the thing is, is also to do what we were doing at the level that we were doing it, you, it, it costs money. Like to have professionals doing it, you know, you're, you're probably not going to make that back on a website. Sure. Um, and then one of the ways that we were trying to stave off the inevitable extinction of strategy guides was by making the books more like coffee table collectible books. Mm -hmm. And they were all like starting to get packed. They were all becoming like hardcover. I mean, I did a book for Harvest Moon in like 2017, 2018. And it was a freaking hardcover. Like we don't need a hardcover strategy guide for <laughs> Harvest Moon. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was like a glorified mobile game. Um, and uh, so they were doing that, but they were also adding in like developer art and concept art and interviews and packing in soundtracks. And I mean, they were doing a lot of things to try and make them, uh, you know, worthwhile. But then the other thing was that the sales team started gui guiding the decisions of, of edit what should have been editorial decisions. And like, oh, we need this book to be 300 pages to justify a hardcover. And I'm like, man, you, you're, you, this book doesn't even exist 
need to be 140 pages. Like there's no way. Again, that Harvest Moon book I did, um, it was a 20th anniversary collectible. Look at some of the pages in that book. Like we blew concept art up to take up two thirds of the page just to fill page right. count because they were the, the sales team was dictating, oh, we got to make it a hardcover so we can hit this price point so we can try and move more units. And it's like, A, bad game. And the game doesn't justify a 300 page book. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. I guess it like, you know, I mean, Blockbuster is always the example everybody goes to of just like, you know, Blockbuster didn't adapt and they ended up dying. But like, yeah, I don't know what you're right. You're probably like, I, I bring up the web. I don't need like, I said that like in passing, but I think you're right. I think it just, I don't know if they ever, I, they probably couldn't have survived. But now I will ask that like gaming magazines are kind of like, they're a niche audience, but they're, they're kind of seeing a resurgence. Like people talk about it in our community. There's a lot of like independent people like myself that are turning out like retro gaming magazines. There's a Sega magazine. There's a Nintendo magazine. Cause people are nostalgic for kind of that old, like enough time has passed that people are nostalgic for it now. Do you think that that'll ever, like, do you think there'll ever be a big resurgence in, in player guides where people are like, I kind of miss that. Like I'm, I don't want to go to YouTube. I want the, the fancy physical guide to flip through. I hope so. I mean, now, now that I'm in independent publishing and writing and focusing on fiction, you know, just, um, you keep seeing signs of like, rising um, physical books are starting to, you know, come back in sales and ebook sales are kind of going down and you hear people like younger people liking to gravitate towards physical things because it reminds them of being a kid and having their parents read to them and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be there at the indie level. You know, now one of the things that we have to remember, like with this whole death of Prima games was, um, you know, Penguin Random House, they're a massive company. And there's a company that owns them. When I got the email saying that I lost my job, I was waiting for an email saying, okay, you're going down to Bend, Oregon to do the guide for, what is it, like Days Gone or whatever. I think the studio is in Bend, Oregon. And um, I couldn't wait because, like, I was really into mountain biking and Bend's a great place for that. And instead, I get this email from some guy in the parent company in London basically saying, like, you know, effective immediately Prima Games is going out of business and, you know, wrap up any projects. And then we're like shutting the doors in February. Right. And it was just like, oh, I just lost my job via email from a guy I've never heard of from a parent company, like two levels removed from the one I actually wrote for. Right. Um, so that was that was interesting. And it just reminds you like, oh, no, this is just business decision. It's yeah. not these aren't gamers it's not like no. you know <laughs> not at all not at all they're just yeah they just take care about the bottom line and that's it so uh so I, I wanted to ask you about what you're writing these days and this is maybe this is gonna be kind of my segue into that uh it, would you ever consider right if you ever played a game or if a game ever came along and you were just super into it like i know you mentioned like you loved halo reach and like and bio like bioshock i fucking i adore the bioshock games and stuff like that would you ever consider doing one independently? Like, are, are, like, are you ever, have you ever like one more fight, like a boxer that comes out of retirement? Have you ever considered coming back and just writing one more guide on your own? Or are you done and just ready to move on to the next chapter of your life? Um, no, I, I'm on the next chapter at this point. I am, um, I am in talks with somebody about um, a gaming adjacent writing project, um, which has me very interested in. Um, but, you know, six, eight months after Prima closed, um, the former publisher, the head, the head of Prima Games, who was the head of, of Brady Games, he was just like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about like, you know, getting kind of like getting the gang back together again. I'm going to go after like the Gears 5 license. And he was like, you'd be obvious choice. And I was like, okay, well, it's not going to come cheap because like 
And he's like, well, I'm not going to be able to pay you what we used to pay you. And I was like, well, like, what are we talking? He's like, $5,000. And I'm like, there is no way in hell I am doing the Gears of War 5 <laughs> guidebook for $5,000. There's sure. absolute. I mean, not to... Like, I know that can sound like, you know, elitist or whatever, but like, listen, there's way too much work and way too much headache dealing with a particular person involved in that Gears of War 5 project. That was not going to, no, there, sure. that was not going to happen. Um, but no, now these days, I'm, um, I've since focused strictly on fiction. When, when Prima Games died, in my drawer for 10 years was the outline to the memoir that I ended up writing. Mm -hmm. um, the walkthrough insider tales from a life and strategy guides, uh, which is the book we've been referencing. Yeah. And, um, I didn't feel the huge gut punch of having lost the job, um, because I had this to immediately focus on. Like, I think like I had one good cry because it was like a dream job that finally came to an end. Sure. And I think like two days later I started writing this memoir. And that allowed, like over the next few months, that allowed me to like kind of relive all the good memories and not focus on the fact that it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, but since that came out in 2019, um, I've been working on a couple of novels. My next one is a, kind of a coming of age thriller set in Hawaii and that is releasing on November 16th next month called, awesome. uh, called Shadows of Kalalau. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm focused on now. Okay. Well, that's, <clears throat> excuse me. That's excellent. So I wanted to, to, to plug that. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously you have a website, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, it'll definitely be in the description of this podcast. If you guys are interested, um, I can 1 billion percent, and this is not a paid advertisement. I was not given a dime to do this. Uh, Doug was kind enough to send me uh, a digital copy of his memoir, the, the walkthrough about his life writing player guides. And I, I, I cannot endorse this book enough. If you guys are into this type of stuff, and I know many of you are, that's why you're listening to this podcast and you're into this community, just to like what Doug talked about, what we talked about over the last hour is just a sampling of the stories and, and stuff like that, that is in this book. It's so well-written and it's just so fascinating to hear about what happened on that side of these player guides that we all grew up reading so much. And uh, I know personally, Doug, like I'm a, I'm a pretty avid reader. I, I'm a kind of a nerd. That's one of the few things I do that isn't video games or comedy is I love to read. Uh, and I'll be certainly keeping an eye out for your writing because I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the walkthrough. So while it will all be in the, in the description of this podcast, we'll get the plug in now, Doug. Where can people find uh, your, your workings? Where can people find what you're up to? All right, Adam. Thanks so much for the the praise on the book. I, I, it was a lot of fun and nice to hear that. Um, everything is at dougwalsh.com, um, W-A-L-S-H. And uh, the books are all available in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And uh, yeah, the next one coming out next month is, uh, it's getting some good early buzz. So I'm excited. But of course, the walkthrough is the one I'll probably always love the most because it was about what I did for 18 years. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Like I, yeah, like I, I it's like, I've never done anything for 18 years other than play video <laughs> games. I haven't done anything for 18 years, but yeah, to like, to know that that's basically like, that's the closure of that chapter of your life and to move on. That's a, that's an emotional thing. So, um, listen, man, I, I've been looking for interesting guests to have on the show on occasion. And when you, I, I will lie to you guys, like I'm not trying to suck my own dick here, but I get emails from people from time to time being like, Hey, I worked on this indie game that and I'm not trying to shit on their indie game, but like this game that no one's heard of that never existed. I'd love to be on your show, but they don't know anything about my show or anything like that. And I understand that that's part of promotion and publicity and getting your name out there and stuff like that. But when you initially emailed me and specifically referenced things from the podcast, like it showed me like, I'm like, yo, this guy has actually listened to some episodes 
episodes of my show. And right away I was fascinated. And then once you and I got talking and we've been kicking this idea around for quite a while, it's just been a matter of making the timeline up to sit down and have this chat. I was so excited to have this. And and I'm gonna be honest, like who knows, maybe I'll screw it up in the editing and, and it won't work or something like that. But <laughs> for, for my money, you guys, this is probably gonna be episode 170. And in 170 episodes, this might be from a personal perspective, the most fascinating episode of this podcast that I've ever done. I can't thank you enough for reaching out and for taking the time to do this, Doug. And uh, I wish you all the best in your future uh, endeavors as a writer. That's fucking awesome. Oh, quickly, I wanted to ask you, what are you playing these days other than Hades? Like you you said, you still play games all the time. Is anything kind of floating your boat? I cannot break myself on my Hearthstone Battlegrounds habit. Um, and yep. they just released a whole new patch with all new content um, recently. But um, I just gave, um, a, 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 I don't even know how to pronounce the freaking game. A- Arrow, a- it was like one of the Dude. Xbox Live for Gold games. Yeah, I was, when I tried to promote that game on Game Patch on our gaming news podcast, I was like, I don't know how to, I'm supposed to say this. Arrow? Like, I didn't know how to say it either. It reminds me of Thumper meets Rez. And okay. like, it's a, it's, it's fun. It's tricky. Um, but yeah, like I, I've only, I've only just scratched the surface. I was in, I was out of town all week last week and haven't played much lately, but uh, yeah, no, that, that's kind of what I'm playing in that and, and Hades because I am told that I cannot, I'm not allowed to stop playing Hades until I get 10 clears. Yeah. Like, I've been so, told that too. You have to clear it 10 times. That's that, yeah. Hey dude, people talk about Hades and you, like, I remember when I finally played it, I was like, well, okay. Is it that good? And then you start playing it. And I know nothing, infamously know nothing about the lore. Everyone makes fun of me because I don't know anything. I don't know who any of these gods are already. And I was like, dude, this game is fucking awesome. So yeah. uh, that's great. And then uh, is there anything coming up that you're like, is there anything in the next, like I'm excited for Back for Blood that's coming out in a week. I can't wait to play that game. And Halo Infinite has got me hot and horny as well. For me, it's all Forza Horizon 5. Is that, yeah? Um, so like, you know, I, I, the project gotham series was like my favorite franchise for years and even going back before that when it was called metropolis street racer on the dreamcast Mm -hmm. um that was like you know it was like okay this is how racing games should be and then obviously you know forza kind of picked up the the mantle forza horizon kind of picked up the mantle from pgr um so no fh5 the only problem is is i only just played forza horizon 4 last winter okay so i almost need like more time between them right Oh, maybe the most gorgeous looking video game I've ever seen in my fucking life, man. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Uh, okay. Awesome. Dude. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for reaching out officially a friend of the podcast. Much appreciated. Absolutely. You guys look up Doug's stuff in the description box, throw him a follow. And again, I'm not, I, as, as sincerely as I endorse Slay the Spire, I endorse the walkthrough his book. It is oh. That fucking is just, you guys, oh. I'm telling you, read it. It's so fucking good. So interesting. Doug, thanks for doing this, man. You're the best. Thank you. Adam, thank you. This was great. And that's going to do it for this week's episode, Doug. Dude, thank you so much for for reaching out, for coming on the podcast, and for sharing your story and talking about what it was like to write the guides that so many of us grew up with. I really hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Uh, You can check out Doug's work, his memoir, The Walkthrough, which I fucking absolutely recommend you can pick it up online it's available digitally all that kind of stuff great book just more stories like the ones he told on the podcast today about what it was like being in uh, one of the authors of these strategy guides back in the old days you can find all of doug's work at dougwalsh.com 
All of his information is in the description of this podcast. If you're interested, uh, cannot recommend checking his stuff out enough. Doug, thanks again, man. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully we can get you back on the show at some point. And uh, to all of you, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, maybe just consider supporting us on Patreon. And I feel weird asking, but like it's two bucks a month. It helps me keep the lights on and keeps churning these things out. And it's not like you're just giving me two bucks. Like I'm asking for it, you know, on the side of the road, you get two additional podcasts every week, expansion pass plus game patch. Plus you get instant access to the entire back catalog. Over a hundred bonus podcasts are sitting there waiting for you. Plus you can join our discord, uh, our discord channel. Plus you can DM with me. Plus you get a shout out on the show. Plus you can write in and play, play one, remake one, erase one and send your comments into all the podcasts podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And it's the greatest value probably in the history of the universe. Two bucks a month, patreon.com slash remember the game. Thank you all so much. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that'll do it for this episode. I'll be back tomorrow with expansion pass number 82, I think 82 or 83, which will be my spoiler free Metroid dread review. I'll be back on Friday with game patch with more gaming news. And I'll be back next week with episode 171 of Remember the Game, and I don't know what game it's going to be about yet, but I'll let you know, all right? Thanks for listening, everybody. You guys are the best. I will talk to you all again soon. Cheers. Remember the Game is brought to you by our Patreons. I could not produce all the content I churn out every week without your generosity and support, so I would like to thank everyone that has supported us at patreon.com slash rememberthegame. So a huge thank you to... Dave, Makeshift Money, Todd, Joe Buck, Ben Drinkin, Sharonic, Andre, Stupid Monkey, Tyler, Michael Mathis, Fake McHugh, Joshua Shenfield, Jeffrey Mathis, Shaylee Keys in his Stupid Arrow Handle, Christopher Sumner, James Clark, King Bahamut, Sean Razine, Dave McGee, DNA Gaming, Joe Gillespie, Nathan Warzica, Ashley Cronenbitter, Ben Bullia, Slick Rick, Doug Dorn, Chris Flurry, Charlie Madero, Scott V, Rex Sheldon, Sheldon, Andrew Wright, Gary C, Dybalk, Luca Rescognik, Luca, Kate Roberts, this is gonna be a long fucking shout out. They call me Badger, Joe Mack, Desert Tortoise, Jordan Do, How, Kevin Hufford, Jason Cortez, The Good Enough Gamer, Fraser Burns, Brian McKay, Alex Martinez, April Sane, Nick Sills, Vladstein, Kyle Paul, Mark 209, Lil Bunny Fufu 89, Matt Brown, Ben Busha, Angry Ticks, Aaron Cuphall, Dan T, Dave Thompson, No One Cares, Mackenzie Wheeler, Brandon O'Brien, Chris Campbell, Chuck Schlarp, Wyman Brooks, Chris, Scott Brooks, Leon K, Adam O'Sharello, Dario Omen, Stitch, Aaron Lawson, Miklos Blackshaw, The T-Word, Michael Hegg, Mr. Nick, Matt McLean, Brian Ransom, Miles from BringBackRetro.com, White Burrow, Chris Knife 007, Nathan Tremblay, Mark Jones, A-Town, Andre SGA Flash, Brian Medeiros, Tom Kite, Danny Vega, David Ray, Geek Life Radio, Morgan, Ryan Yeager, John Quack, Zane Donovan, Adam J, S2S, Jer Bear, Arpad Botos, Ryan Kinchin, Tommy Reynolds, Defunct, Mike Maloney, Christopher Russell, Ryan Bayshore, X Water, Vincent L, Very Cool Dude, Jay Clutch, Starl Probin, Tim Riel, The Giraffe, Jared PB McFadden, G9PSX, Tim L, Dominic S. Thompson, Martin Greenwood, David Schnatterer, Wolverine Films, Peeb, Silver Grunion, Mr. Satan, Raging Demon, Poops Loomis, 8-Bit Bovi, Pat Duddy, MPG and Buffalo, James Anderson, Amy Gillen, 
Dana Witcherall, that one kid Nick, Potato Bob Guy, Mad Shibs, Mercury869, Derek Jane, Rodrigo Tamazi, Kelly, Pie Messiah, The Honest Pokemon Trainer, Bracken, Newcomb, Zoo Troy, M. Felf, A Novel Console, Kfabe5150, Example Text, AJ Jones, JB Retromania, Ferdy Martinez, Troy Zuniuk, Brandon Hine, Boognish, Wolfgang Darren, Lunch Ninja Lunchbox 79, Mr. Meeseeks 0406, Derpimus Prime, Seriously Ron P, Sam Wright, Retro Bismol, Andy Hudson, John Byrne 86, Paul Buller, Joshua Davis, Stefan Fukasawa, Thor the Hammer, Kinslayer, Rogue Agent, Jafar, McJr, McMegaman 2 OG, Good A, Goth C, Dane, Aaron Baker, Lord Finish, K Jam, Electronics Emotions Program, Chris Coplin, Spencer C. Weiss, Mandingo 2021, Cody Poland, JMC, Logan Hale, Doogie, Matt McLean, Pizza Power, Super Nintendo Dudes, Nathan Freak, Mike, Mike Burks, Trevor Seven Oaks, Ryan McCowan, Kerry Waka Waka, Fob, Paul Zoe, Wolf Magic 21. There's still 200 of these. Johnny CCDC, Joe LeBlanc, Raul Aguiar, I worked at Subway, David Phillips, Corey Street, Gary Heather, Carmichael Nicholas. Squints, John DeShazo, Tent Sparkster, Omega 88, Swedish Fish, Nathaniel Shelley, Explode Processing, Tim Chombo, Chowdy Laudi, jo Joseph Gonzalez, Dan Wagner, Daniel McKee, Candido, K Cuz, Guest House Productions, Bones 02, S2 Vaughn 5000, Titan 420, Jose E. Marco, Seth Mayfield, Tom Calvert, Chris Freeman, Scarlet, Zonko 504, Lee Sparks, A Sharp J, Oprah's Iron Fist, Tom Maya, Adam Ferrer, Russell Aldridge, Chris Dory, Classic Crusade, Big G, Astral Soul, Shannon Willis, Scott Roseberry, Karth from KOTOR, Sean Radford, Chance McCoy, Josh Valentini, Hammond Egger, Ronnie Sachs, PK, Jeff Bergeron, Ian Watts, Dale Baker, Joe Kirby, Captain N, Owen the Game Furchuck, Super Dave, Plucky Beast, Matthew Day, Broken Spoilers, Harmonies David, Game Nomad Misi, Tristan, Jerry Robinson, Emily Luna, Kenneth Michael Brown, Leigh Evans, Daniel Stidham, Darth Obvious, Master Boyg, Leon Napskog, Trapper Keeper 1000, Daniel, Astro Alpica, Rob Strothman, Ryan Groinus, Kaiser Dragon, Pee Pee Poo Poo Cuckoo Pants, Kyle Dodd, Jared Boschlin, Stu Bergerick, Eden Awaits 1981, Tunable Power, Borrow, The Great Bearded One, Dan Taylor, Swanee, Hayes 87, Lukey Mill, Mole, Look, fuck me, there's still a hundred of these. It's so, it's easy until I lose my train of, the second my brain thinks about anything, I'm fucked. As long as all I do is just blindly read the names off the spreadsheet, we've made it. We got 107 to go, let's go. It's like the pokey rap. Danny Proudfoot, John Woodruff, Angel Cortez, Dusty Salad, Chris Meisner, Randy Barrage, Neo Nevis, Andy Spilling, Brian Spritzer, Michael Clark, Chalupa Cabra, Thomas Simmons, Sean Byron, Rocker Dude, Saskatchewan River Pirate, What Great Gaming, Mikey NL83, I Am the Mutt, Juga, Sony Kid Magazine, Brian Sherborne, Joseph Champetti, Just a Fish, Adam Stank, Bagalazino, Noob Q, Beth, Rob Kinsley, Benny MB, Vomit the Soul, Strife 89, Thermopolis, Oh, fuck an email just popped up on my computer and that distracted me Thermopolis Paul Rutkowski Liam Micah Veal Chris Daniels Gareth Dunn Matt Denzalo Spicy Mortician King Kizarro 64 Davey Boy Michael Bayshore e Eric Chevinius Holmes Ryan Gibbons Dan S Adam Goldstein Veal the Butch Austin Uricetti Nemo Sandoval Matthew C Centrone Hostel Badger Zach Shepard Stefan Ballsack Teabagger <laughs> 
<laughs> Black Silver, Billy Mumphrey's Downfall, Rico Argentieri, Brian W., Chris Dickin, Jungle Dumpster, Jay Hampton, Rage Mo, Thomas G., Man A Few Words, Hans Gruber, Dylan Flora, Jackson M., Joseph Oblivion, Craig Sutherland, Rob Serino, Matthew D'Amico, Dajao1k1t, John Colossi, Quest, Gregory Harvey, Stephen Lewis, Yankee Doodle Randy, Bobo, Clayton Robertson, Jason Sika, Andrew Lohus, Darth Yako, Alan M, Backdraft Delta, Frosty Feet 492, Scott A. Baker, Britt O'Neill, Riley Jones, Justin Lemieux, Michael Spiro, Jonathan Graham, Brady Wolf, Mecca Robo Hamster, Navigant, which I know I fucked up, Michael Phillips, Brandon Griffiths, Stefan Rusher, 1.21 gigawatts, Thomas Cheney, Hulk Hogan's brother, Chris Larkin, Evan O'Byrne, or Brian, fuck, Clinton Smith, the Mustard Tiger, and Chris Cantrell. Holy shit. Seven minutes. Have you made it to the end of this? You're a beast. Thank you all so much for the support. I really appreciate it. And if you signed up in October and didn't get in that shout out, I only record it once a month. So I'll record it again at the beginning of November. But you'll thank you. Thank you all so much. You guys are the best. Holy cow. I'm going to go drink some water. I'll talk to you again soon. Cheers.